What is going on, folks? Welcome back to the Primal Podcast. For any new listeners out there, my name is Dan, and I essentially use this show to explore the world around us and speak to the people that I believe have massive value to offer me, and by extension, you, when it comes to improving our lives, being happier, healthier, and building more robust, resilient versions of ourselves. My guest on today's episode is one of the soundest guys you could possibly come across, Mr. Pat Dively. Now, Pat doesn't like titles, but when I twisted his arm, he describes himself as what we would call a performance coach. He's essentially spent his career helping people improve their lives across a wide range of arenas, originally in the health and fitness realm, but more recently using a range of platforms like his incredible podcast, his books, live speaking, coaching and group events to try and empower people on their journey to understand who they are, to find their identities and to work on the parts of themselves that he believes will enhance their overall lives and help them with things like purpose, with contentment, with happiness, resilience and overall wellness. Now Pat's an absolute gent and I can speak for both of us when I say we were like a pair of giddy kids before we started this podcast because we are both so passionate about this realm of self-discovery and self-empowerment and really the goal here, I call it sometimes building superhumans or becoming robust both physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever that means for you and we connected so well on several different levels and obviously Pat is so experienced in this realm that he was able to flow so smoothly between these different topics to the point where I started to forget whether it was my podcast or his podcast as we were doing. One huge area that we touched on and kept circling back to throughout this conversation was something that Pat calls shadow work and I often call self-work or internal work. And this is the concept of finding the parts about yourself that are scary or upsetting or create fear and acknowledging those and integrating them into how you live your life, which creates a much more rounded sense of identity and who you are. Something that I talk about quite a lot on lots of different podcasts with lots of different people because I genuinely believe that the root cause of so many of our problems, our mental health issues, how we interact with other people, the lack of compassion, the lack of love and connection that we have nowadays stems from our own inability to go inwards and acknowledge that shadow and build it into part of who we are or accept it as part of our lives. Pat does a great job in his episode of explaining to me the more technical side of what I don't understand about this shadow work and the inner work and giving us some super useful helps and hints and tips for what people like myself and you can do if we're a little bit resistant to the whole traditional kind of holistic airy-fairy approach. Now, I'm using those words very carefully because I like those words, but they've been lost in translation somewhere along the way. So if you're interested in watching and listening to two guys grinning like absolute idiots as we explore some really, really deep and beautiful topics, then strap yourself in and enjoy this podcast. And thank you very much to Mr. Pat Dively for joining me on this episode. Welcome to our shared journey to find the answers to questions about health, wellness, nutrition, performance, life and success, and to craft the most resilient, hardy and happy humans you've ever seen. Welcome to the Primal Podcast. Mr. Pat Dively. <laughs> What's up? How are you, brother? I'm really happy to be here. This is uh, the coolest studio in the country, I will say. You don't have to say that now, no, but uh, I appreciate <laughs> it. I'm actually, I don't know if people can see, well, you can't see in the camera, I am buzzing now because we spent the last hour talking um, in the car and in the studio here and I'm, I've been buzzing in the lead up to this, mm. but I'm so excited because I have two pages worth of stuff here. Now I said to you before, I'm probably going to go way off track with this, but 
what most people probably ask you at the start of a podcast is, Pat Tivoli, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, now, I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast probably already know who you are. However, I watched your little video on your website, the Belief and Belonging video today. Oh, yeah. And I just thought when I was watching it, even if you know Pat Tivoli's story, there's so many parts to that story that will resonate with different people because it's a story of initial challenge and, and disappointment and sadness and fear that leads into an evolution of the person that you were into the person that you are now. Mm. And I think that's kind of what I speak to a lot of people about. So if people aren't familiar with that story, would you mind just giving us a little taster? Anybody who has already heard the story won't mind hearing it again. But for people <laughs> who maybe haven't heard the story, I think there's some good lessons and it'll give us context for a lot of the stuff we're going to speak about just to know what you do now and how did you get to that point? Yeah, for sure. Um it's the hero's journey, effectively. We might talk about the hero's journey at some point in the yeah. podcast, which is just this story arc that we see. Um, I think the reason we connect to other people's stories is because we see this hero's journey where there's disruption in their life and this kind of this call to adventure and changing our circumstances and tackling challenges. Yeah. And I always tell people you don't resonate with the story or you don't watch a film where the main character starts in a great place and has a great life and ends in a great place. There's always turmoil and, and, and everything else. So there was some turmoil there. But my background was, um, you know, a huge interest in fitness since I was a kid. It was the first thing that ever gave me confidence. And so I decided at 13 or 14, I'm going to be a fitness guy. Which back, what am I now, 33, 33 same as yourself. Back then, there <laughs> yeah, I know, we're getting old, <laughs> boys. But back then, there wasn't an industry for fitness in Ireland. You know, there was Carl Henry who was doing a bit, and there was Pat, uh, or, you know, Body Burn, uh, Paul Byrne was doing a yes. bit. But there wasn't a lot going on in fitness, so it was unrealistic to set up a fitness business. But that was my goal. Um, when I came out of college uh, at 21, it was the worst at a recession, but I moved to Dublin, left Galway, and I said, right, I'm going to be successful. And really what that stemmed from was insecurity as a kid, not believing in myself, never really excelling or feeling special at anything, uh, never feeling remarkable, and always wanting to feel a sense of, I'm special, uh, wanting to feel enough. There was always an inadequacy, inadequacy there, I was bullied a bit as a kid, and um, was always trying to prove myself to other people. And so when I left Galway, this notion in my head was the romantic story of, I'm going to go to the big city and I'm going to be successful and I'm going to show everyone at home. And I sort of put on a, a, a show on social media about how well things were going. So I was putting up pictures of the models I was training. I was, um, I was putting up clippings from the newspapers I was getting into. So my friends back home thought he never comes home. He's training models. He's in the newspapers. He's made it. And the reality of my life, and this is, I think, one of the reasons we or some of us struggle with our mental health, is the disconnect between what's actually happening versus the story we're trying to portray as to what's happening. The reality of my life was I was working full time in a clothes shop. I was living down on East Wall Road. I was drinking too much. I was partying too much. Um, the models I was training, I was training for free. I was lost. Uh, I didn't want to come home with my tail between my legs. I was struggling with my mental health. There was a lot going on. Ultimately, I came home Christmas Eve of 2011, which is what, 10 years ago now. And I got the bus home to Galway, um, bus home to Galway. And I cried for three hours on the bus home at 24, just, uh, or 23. And uh, I was just emotionally broken. I felt like such a failure. I felt such a sense of shame. I had to borrow money to get the bus home. Uh, I had to give up on my dream. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, I look back and say, geez, you're only 24, but I had such expectations of myself. And... The shame was just that it, I just felt a lot. Uh, I was the oldest of four kids and I felt like, Jesus, my little brother's 11. He's got more money in the bank than I do at 23, 24. This is not how it was supposed to go. So my dream or what had been my dream had turned into a nightmare for me in Dublin. 
So I came home, I spent six months really in the dark days of walking up and down my local beach every day crying and wiping back tears and I would meet my parents' friends which kind of amplified this feeling of shame. Um, you know, my, my, my parents' friends would tell me what their more successful kids were doing. You know, my one's in Australia and he's an accountant now and he's this and they'd say, what are you doing? And I'd say, I'm working in the pizza shop and, oh, I thought you were doing well in Dublin. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to figure out my next move and I, I don't know. It was, it was a tough time. And, um, Oh, yeah, I worked in a pizza shop. Eventually, uh, you were from the physiotherapy world. I applied to go back and study physiotherapy. That was the light at the end of the tunnel. Got offered a place and I thought, okay, I still get to work with people in a physical capacity, um, but it's more tangible. I can make money here. I can travel, et cetera, et cetera. Then the place fell through on the physiotherapy course and I said, oh, geez, there's no luck for me here. But I said, I'll go the following year. I'll spend this year saving some money for college. I'll teach some fitness classes locally and that'll be the start of it. And um, I started teaching classes. I had five people on the local beach my first morning. And within three months, there was 100 people coming to the beach. Within a year, there was 500 people in my gym in Galway and, and online programs. I wrote a book. Within five, six years, there was 20,000 clients had gone through online courses. Um, we've raised over 300,000 for local charities, built a school out in Nepal, and brought out two more books. There was a lot that happened. Um, we brought the biggest ever team to Tough Mudder, 550 people. Wow. There was just a huge highlight reel for those couple of years from 24 to 28. So my whole life changed. And I suppose part two then of the story was I woke up at 28 and I was feeling very similar to how I'd felt in Dublin, despite having ticked all the boxes, achieved all the goals, bought the house, bought the car, built a business, met a girlfriend, great circle of friends. I had everything I thought I was supposed to have and I still didn't feel good and was finding myself going to psychi psychiatrists and psychologists and all the ists trying to sort myself out. And at that point in my life, I had to kind of change how I was living. So I recognized my 20s were this relentless pursuit of achievement because I felt there was something inadequate about me. So there's a gap or a void or a wound in me. And I'm going to try to get everything outside of myself to disguise that wound and uh, not willing to go into the wound. And, um, you know, 28, I changed my lifestyle. I, I, saw, I didn't even sell my gym. I, I gave it to my friend. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And it was kind of at its peak in terms of popularity at that time. I'd done the Late Late Show and... and um, yeah, I was busy. Uh, you know, th things were good on paper, but I, I didn't feel good and I couldn't deny that. Um, so my friend took over the gym, put his name above the door and made it his own. I went traveling. I did the whole kind of stereotypical bit of finding myself, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I just changed how I was living. I spent my 20s living for the future. I'll be happy when chasing the goals, chasing the targets. And the way I put it to people was it was like I was relentlessly climbing these mountains. But every time I got to the top, I'd see 50 more. And I'd be like, shit, I went up the wrong one. I've got to go up another now. And uh, I made my life more about the day to day. I looked at meditation. I looked at breath work, all these different practices. And um, yeah, now what are we five, six years on? My work and my life is more focused around mental and emotional wellness. So it was physical wellness. Now it's mental and emotional wellness. Very good, yeah. You might do a bit of public speaking. You're very, you're very good telling <laughs> Jeez, You won't get a word in, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You know, a, a, a beautiful telling of that story, which I was familiar with, obviously, from knowing you, for, not, not knowing you personally, but knowing your story for a while. But there's, there's bits in that that jump out at me so strongly. Mm -hmm. I had everything I thought I was supposed to have, but I wasn't happy. It's probably the biggest one for me because I explained to you, I, I would have seen a lot of people come through the clinic I worked in who to me looked like they had everything that I wanted and that they were supposed to have super successful, nice suits, fast cars, great looking relationships, super athletes, whatever. 
And after five minutes with these people, usually it'd be tears and I'm miserable. I'm not happy. I don't know what it is. So I, I said to you in the lead up to this podcast, one of the big areas I want to focus on is identity. Mm. And it, your story there is a story of identity, mm. really, because who am I? What am I doing? Why am I happy? Even the old Irish thing of the mammy saying like, you, what, what course did you do now? And Johnny's yeah. Johnny's great now. And Johnny's doing physio and, and Dan is doing maths. And, and you're like, but what am I? And I've personally felt like this for most of my life as well. What am I like? What, mm. what am I doing? Um, and I, I'm sure a lot of people listening now, it might just be tickling part of their brain. Maybe I'm an, I give accountants an awful hard time. I, I'm not an accountant, <laughs> but maybe I'm an accountant or, or a maths teacher or whatever it is. But why am I happy? I have everything. I have the car, the house, mm. the wife. Um, so... I think a lot of our discussion today is going to revolve around identity and this phrase that you used, shadow work, mm. which I'm fascinated by. Now, mm. before I let you go... Mm. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you're not going to get a word <laughs> yeah, So before, before I set you off from the traps uh, like a greyhound, <laughs> I'm going to give you... I'll see if this, if this resonates with you, really. Um, I had this image in my head, so I struggled for a while, for a couple of years, with, with my own head and how I was feeling. I wasn't feeling good at all. And when I came through and I was on the other side and I was looking back, I had this image... I was like, what was it like? It was like I was being chased by this monster. Mm. And the the hardest part for me was the chasing. I was being chased. So I never turned around to look at the monster. And mm. that was terrifying because he's going to catch me. He's going to eat me. He's going to consume me. Now, it was, uh, in, when you're in it, you're not thinking those thoughts. You're just consumed by darkness or whatever it is. Mm. And then I started to think, well, what changed? I turned around and I saw the monster. Mm. And it wasn't any less of a monster. It was still a monster. But now I could see it. I was like, oh, okay, so it is a monster. Mm. What, what am I going to do about this monster? And then I started to do things. And I found some things that made the monster a little bit smaller. Mm -hmm. So when I was thinking of the scariest bit for me was running from the monster. It wasn't actually looking at the monster. It doesn't change the fact that the monster is there, but now I can see it and now I can do things about it. And I got a little bit of strength from that. Yeah. And then I started to think about, okay, well, now, now I'm, much further removed from that, so I went a little bit deeper. I was like, so you can beat the monster? And I was like, well, no, because the monster is constantly shifting and growing and feeding off your social media. It becomes part of the monster and bad experiences you're going to have that you haven't had yet. So it keeps getting bigger. So unless you constantly address it, mm. it's going to keep being there. And the worst thing you could do is turn and start running from it again, because then it's just this unseen monster. So this was going through my head over and over <laughs> again. Then I heard you speak about shadow work. And I was mm. like, this is a fucking monster. <laughs> I used to say to Jill all the time, I'm, I'm just, I'm doing some work on me and I don't know what it is yet and I struggled to write and to breathe and to do all these different things but I found little things but you mentioned shadow work and I heard, I heard Dara Stewart speak about stuff like this before and started hearing people talk about this internal work mm. to deal with what I thought was an external problem. So maybe for clarity for me, because mm. I'm very new to this and for people who've never heard this phrase or who might have heard it and it's kind of, oh, I wonder what that is. Can you explain to me shadow work and its connection with who you are as a person and your identity maybe? Sure. Um, I think what you're alluding to in the idea of the monster is the difference between pain and suffering. Um, suffering is optional. Pain is inevitable, I think is probably wow. a way of putting it. So it's like, um, I don't know, if I go through a breakup, that's going to be painful. My heart's going to hurt. It's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. Um, but if I hold that pain for too long or I don't allow myself to feel the pain for too long, I resist it, I push it down, I try to outwork it, outdrink it, outsmoke it, outrun yeah. it, whatever it is, that's resistance. Um, resistance to pain causes suffering. If I allow myself to feel what I need to feel, it can run through. A really simple example is if you watch a kid, a kid will have a real big cry and then two minutes later they're laughing hysterically. They just process their emotions, just let it run through. But then as adults... We're not really allowed to process our emotions so much or we don't have the 
Uh, we don't give ourselves permission or it's just not appropriate. I can't be in the, the, the office and the boss says something to me and I feel angry and I'm going to try to process my anger in that moment. But life is busy and so maybe we don't have the space or don't have the um, support to process that anger at some point. And so the anger's there. I've, I've, there's, a resist, like, there's a feeling in my body when the anger emerges, but I never do anything with it. So I'm always trying to push it and hide it and et cetera, et cetera. But to your question on shadow work, um, <laughs> I, I could talk. Okay, before you go, can <laughs> I ask you a question or something you just said Please, there? Yeah. That, having that anger in there, I, yeah. I feel like today there's a conversation around that anger being a bad thing to mm. have. You're not allowed to have that anger because mm. it makes you a bad person mm. or an angry, aggressive person. How do you feel about that? They're two different things. Aggression and anger are two different things. Uh, you know, people um, people mistake, I think, anger with aggression and okay. they assume anger is aggression. Uh, there's, there's a thing called, you know, we call it clean anger. Clean anger is really useful. Um, sometimes this will go into a slightly different topic, but it still relates to the shadow. Uh, we have different archetypes. I don't know if you're familiar with the yeah. archetypes idea. So typically for men, they'll say the four pillars for men are king, warrior, magician, and lover. Uh, the warrior in me is responsible for my boundaries. So it puts boundaries around what I deem to be important to my life. Um, my warrior energy is what allows me to say no to things I don't want to do and say yes to things I do want to do. It's the part of me that takes action. My king energy knows what I want and then the warrior kind of follows through. Um, so the, the gateway emotion for the warrior is anger. Uh, if I don't have any anger, I'm a people pleaser and a pushover. Ah. Now, the flip side is if I'm unaware of my anger and I have too much anger, I'm a bully. And so by intimately coming to know my anger, I always say it's like a samurai with a sword. The sword is there, but he's not going around chopping everyone up. He, you know, it's there for when he yeah. needs it. Uh, if you don't have anger, you're not able to say, no, that's not okay with me. And my experience with that is trying to be the nice guy all the time and trying to keep everyone happy. I actually end up resenting people. You know, I say yes to something, but I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, this asshole is trying to get me to work after six o'clock. You know, this guy has no respect for me. All these stories that are not true. And so that for me is the difference. Aggression is more that kind of bully mentality of not recognizing, again, maybe it's in shadow where I don't recognize that I'm really aggressive um, because I can't express it in a clean way. The, The analogy I sometimes use is if I start walking toward you now and I ask you to say stop when I'm too close, Generally, you'll say stop when I've gone beyond your boundary. I've stepped a bit too close. Because I'm trying to be too nice. You're, trying to be too, you're afraid of offending me by saying stop early. Okay. And now I'm too close to you and you kind of feel uncomfortable and whatever it is. Uh, it's almost the same. People push our buttons in life and it's not until they push us too far and then we're like, don't do that to me. You yeah, know, yeah, whereas yeah. if we had the maybe healthier relationship with anger or more intimate relationship with anger, I'd know. And that's OK with me. That's not OK with me. Yeah. And obviously cancel culture, all these things. Today we're all afraid to, oh no, I, I'm afraid to say all the things I need to say Yeah, um, for fear of. That's why I asked you really, because it's the cancel culture thing. There's a, a fear of exploring or expressing that. And I use the phrase, I know you don't like using some of these phrases, but this toxic behavior, toxic mm-hmm. masculinity or whatever it is. If you are, if you feel anger, that's bad. And what my brain would work, well, no, I feel anger all the time. How can I be bad? I think it's how what I do with that anger is probably more important. Exactly. It's not how I feel is the bad thing. It's just how I feel. The feeling is, the feeling is neutral in itself. Yeah. It's, it's it how you judge it and it's how you uh, process it or what you do it. I think that is important. And so the shadow work, um, back to the shadow work. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what a pro. Uh, shadow work, put really simple. Uh, Carl Jung had an amazing quote. He said, um, he had a lot of amazing quotes, but one of them was, and this a lot of people will be familiar with, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. 
Um, so okay. until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate to point to what this might look like in reality. Um, if there's parts of myself that I haven't made peace with, I'll keep attracting the same situations into my life again and again. So my unconscious is running the show. Um, so the shadow is we come into the world and we're full expression. Again, you think of that child that cries in one minute and then laughs in the next minute and then runs around naked and then eats with their hands. And then, you know, they do whatever they want. There's no filters, no editing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The full personality. And then as the child becomes socialized, which is normal. You've got to fit in within the social structure, within the family structure, within the schooling structure. Uh, certain things are deemed to be unacceptable or unlovable or not approved of. Uh, you know, up to a certain age, you can do whatever you want and you're just the, the apple of your parents' eye. You know, I'm singing and I'm dancing and everything's good. Then maybe I'm four or I'm five and I'm doing the same thing I did only a couple of months before and my dad kind of snaps at me and he says, why are you dancing like a girl? And I, I attach a meaning to that. So oh, boys aren't supposed to dance. You know, you're a child, you don't have context, you don't have the gray area in between, everything's yeah. quite black and white. And so we pick up all these messages. You see the first couple of years of your life, your parents and your siblings are kind of giving you message implicitly and explicitly as to how you should feel about money, about sex, about love, about uh, success, about failure. We pick up all these messages. Then we go to school. And over time, we start to develop our persona. So the persona is how we want to be seen. Uh, the persona is a pride position. I'm proud of the fact that I'm a kind person. I'm proud of the fact that I'm a creative person. Um, but to create a pride position, by default, you create a, sh a shame position. So the opposite goes into shadow. So if I know it's good to be a kind person and I want to be a kind person, I probably put the opposite into shadow, my arrogance or my ignorance or whatever it might be. And I don't want to see that in myself. Yeah. And so it's there in the background. We all have all traits or we're all we have the potential for all traits. Um, but half it gets shut down because we deem them to be unacceptable parts of ourselves. And then they play out in later life where there's projection, where you keep meeting the same types of people. And you say, why do I keep meeting people who are so toxic or so... Because there's a part of me that's toxic that I haven't made peace with. Or addictive behaviors oftentimes are these feelings I'm uncomfortable with come up or these parts of myself come up and I don't want to look at them, so I drink or I gamble or whatever it might be. So to me, that's what shadow is. It's, it's the parts we want to deny. The part It's any, any part of yourself you're not willing to love is, is shadow material. It's nuts as you say that because it's that's a scalable thing as well because if you look at, and again, I said I wouldn't get into politics or, or anything <laughs> like that now, but just as a, as, a, as a thought experiment, if you look at the divisions between political groups or religious groups or anything nowadays, I believe this thing and the, ne the opposite of what I believe is the negative, which must be the other side. Mm. I'm red, you're blue. I'm black, you're white, whatever it is. It's just interesting. That's because I genuinely believe, and I said this to you before, that a lot of these bigger picture kind of issues or divides come from a lot of individuals who haven't really acknowledged that internal trauma or, or shadow or divide. And they join a club of people who are similarly minded and they all form a club. And then the people who think the opposite are in the opposite club and they shout at each other. And that's essentially whatever, politics 101, <laughs> politics 101 right there. But if all of those people, I think Jordan Peterson speaks about this a lot, if all of those people made their bed, so to speak, or did their own work. Dr drink some ayahuasca. Or drink some ayahuasca. <laughs> Here we go, we're straight in. <laughs> straight in. Um, you'd have a lot less people joining those groups and clubs because a lot more people would find that happiness or that belonging in, in themselves or in their own small family units or friends, whatever it is. Um, but in terms, okay, that's a lovely explanation of what the shadow is. Mm. Shadow work. What, what are you What are you working? What are you doing? You're doing something to try and ad go there, essentially. Yeah, there's, there, I mean, there's, there's a million ways of exploring the shadow. Um, but ultimately what you're looking to do is integrate these aspects. 
So you're not trying to outrun them or, or get past them. You're not trying to demonize them. You're actually trying to almost become intimate with them. Not trying yeah. to run away from the monster, turn around and look exactly. at them. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I heard a nice thing the other day. It was, it was talking about the difference between fu uh, being fused to something and being intimate with something. Um, so being fused to someone is maybe yourself and your partner. There's just no separation between the two. Of you. you don't know who's who. When your partner is in bad form, you find yourself in bad form and vice versa. There's no, there's no gap or no space between you. Whereas being intimate with someone is having a little bit of space where you can you know, be a little bit separate from it. So similar when we become intimate with parts of ourselves, it's like there's a little bit of space there where I can see my anger. I'm no longer my yes. anger. I can see my anger. Um, and it could be to, you know, just integrate it in healthy ways. Like, uh, you know, again, anger is probably a good example because a lot of us would deem it to be bad, uh, wrong, shameful, unlovable, unacceptable. Again, you can think of it that maybe I notice in my younger years that when I get sad and I cry, people don't want to be around me. When I get angry... Other people get scared, so I don't want to show these parts. Um, but slowly integrating them again is starting to just gently see where might that be an appropriate behavior. So I say, okay, well, anger could be appropriate if someone was to come and threaten my family. Okay, yeah. maybe a silly example, but okay, okay, it's it's a little bit more acceptable now. Um, in terms of where we start with the shadow work, I think projection is probably the, the, the easiest place to start. So I ask people questions like, what upsets you about men? And write down the things that upset you about men. They're uh, they're judgmental and they're hostile and they're um, they they won't be vulnerable with me. So you write those things down, and then you explore where have I got the potential to be similar, or where do I show similar? Very challenging to people because as you, as you say, identity is such a strong force. Yeah. Identity is the strongest force in the world. And the example I give on that um, is if we go out for a meal, and you're on a healthy eating regime that your personal trainer gave you and the waitress comes out and she says, do you want dessert? You'll be like, oh, maybe, uh, oh, sure, give us a look. I'll have a look at the dessert menu. There's kind of that willpower battle that's going on. Whereas if I'm vegan and I go out for a meal and they say, do you want a steak? I'm going to say no. Because my identity is very clearly I'm vegan, so yes. I don't do that. Um, so our identity dictates our behaviors. Um, and so it's, it's difficult to write down these aspects of yourself that you've denied and just start to think, am I potentially capable of that? Or am I showing that? Or might there be value in that? And to me, you're just slowly bringing these parts back into your life. Probably something worth to note, definitely something worth noting is there's not just dark shadow. So it's not just the quote unquote bad stuff. There's also gold shadow. So the people I look down on in life and judge, so we don't want to admit that we look down on people, but we all judge people. When I point the finger at someone that I don't like, there's three fingers pointing back at, um, at me. You said that and I was like, <laughs> he's right. <laughs> I, I thought that was a, a standard uh, thing. But, but, but equally, when I point the finger at the people that I admire in life, they're pointing to golden shadow. So again, imagine a child who loves to paint and is ridiculed for painting for some reason. It's just not seen as something, you know, the school system doesn't value creativity as much maybe as logic. Um, uh, and so the child maybe puts their creative side into shadow. They stop painting because it's seen as a waste of time. 20 years later, that person struggles to tap into their creativity, but they love watching musicians. So they're pointing the finger at these musicians saying, that guy's a genius, that band are a genius, she's a genius. There's three fingers pointing back to their own creativity uh. that they've disowned. So it's about uh, welcoming back the parts we've disowned by either putting people on pedestals or putting people down in the pit. And as we do this, the magic of it is, as I make peace with these aspects of myself, I come to see everyone else on a much more even playing field. And you can imagine if you think anger is bad, you're going to hate every angry person that comes into your life. And guess what? Hate is quite an angry yeah, <laughs> yeah. expression, you know, an unconscious expression. Whereas if I start to see, 
oh wait, my anger, I can see where it might be comes from. I can see where it might have value. I can see where it could be destructive. Okay, I understand it a bit more. Now I can see in other people. I keep talking about anger today, but maybe one more note on anger for now is um, anger is a secondary emotion to sadness. So for boys, uh, typically it wasn't a good move to cry in front of people. But if you got angry, that was okay. Because when I get angry at you, you're going to be scared of me and you're going to take a step back when I cry, I'm vulnerable. Um, So generally anger for most people will hide sadness or sadness hides behind anger. Yeah, and I suppose nowadays anger is because it is demonized to a certain extent. If, you're, if as a boy or a man, you're not allowed to express that anger, you don't, your default go-to is not there. You don't want to feel sad. You can't feel angry. What do you do? You feel numb. You feel numb. Yeah, you, this is where all of this comes into the, the depression and anxiety and mental health kind of, I won't call it a, a pandemic. It's probably a wrong, the wrong use of <laughs> yeah. the word, but uh, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And a, a question I have for you, because you're so experienced and obviously well-versed in communicating these ideas, I'm always wondering, I, I, I explained to you, one of my missions here is to try and bridge the gap between this world that I had exposure and access to, to my, my own experience in the, in the medical world and the average person. Now, I, what is the average person? Mm-hmm. But a person who maybe doesn't have that kind of connection or exposure. And when they see or hear shadow work or they see a spiral or a flower on someone's logo. As, I still don't know what a spiral is. I don't know what it means. <laughs> Am I missing something? Like <laughs> People send me the spiral all the time. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what it means. But if you show these symbols, which traditionally represents somebody who's going to help you with some form of healing or personal work or development like that, most of the people I know would run a mile. Hmm. But I know from experience and having dealt with all sorts of different people and all sorts of different experts that most people could benefit greatly from some form. I'm not saying everybody's miserable or depressed, but a lot of people aren't as happy as they could be. And I find that becoming increasingly more correct nowadays. There's a lot of people who really struggle and they have everything that they're supposed to have to make Mm. them happy and they're Mm. not happy. How do you start communicating to somebody who probably has an inherent resistance to working on themselves or self-analyze and they've built up this, the ego of 20, 30, 40 years and they've built defense mechanisms and you want to speak to them about this shadow work. How do you communicate that to someone? Because I struggle still to try and figure out what's the link? Is it Pat Dively? Yeah. Pat Dively the link. <laughs> I, I, it's probably not the answer you want, but um, I, I don't try and convince anyone. I, maybe convince, yeah, is the wrong word because I am aware people need to be in the right mindset mm. to receive this information. Mm. Um there's different things. I think, you know, a level of it, like tone is really important in terms of like no one needs to be fixed. That's, yeah, yeah. you know, I, so I, I, I am very conscious of my tone that I'm giving invitations. That's that's one thing I would okay, say. Yeah. These are invitations. These are not uh, prescriptions. These are not yeah, me yeah, thinking like of it figured out, anything like that. It's like, oh, I'd invite you to try this. Um, my thing is just sharing personal experience and um and things that have worked for me and things that haven't worked for me and just encouraging people to go gentle with themselves. And really, I'm just speaking to myself all the time. You know, (laughs) the stuff I'm saying is like my, I always think that the advice we give to other people, sometimes like you're saying the words, you're like, geez, there's some good stuff in here. You know, you're giving your best friend advice as they go through a breakup. If only we could hear it ourselves. write that down. Yeah, you need to read it later. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's actually, I say, I've said this a few times on these episodes, this podcast is very self-serving for me because I want to speak to Pat because I want to speak to Pat. I've listened to your podcast. I've seen you. I've seen you speak and stuff like that. And I wanted to speak to you because I'm going to get something from you. You're going to leave this experience, and I'm going to have a more fulfilled life as a result. Could be something you say. Could be something you did. Could be could be anything that we had today. I'm very selfish in that <laughs> element of it because I know that will help me. And by extension, 
I'll be a better person when I go home to my, my children later on and I'll be buzzing and they'll be happy and my fiance will be happy. Everybody's going to be just be happier. So for me, it is selfish in one way because I want to learn mm. and I'm receptive to that and I'm open to that. But I know a lot of people who just aren't and they go through their entire lives and I don't know that they ever reach. I call it the heart attack now. It's a, f a figure of speech, but in the medical sense, most, not most, a lot of people wait until they have a heart attack before they change their health, mm. their lifestyle. They yeah. extract exercise, but only after they have the heart attack. And I, I, and you explained to me, you did as well. I had an emotional heart attack a few years ago and I felt really bad and it just kicked something in me. I have to do something and now I feel really good, but I'm constantly practicing these things. So I had the emotional heart attack. But I know people who go through their entire lives not feeling particularly happy, are they just destined to be like that forever? Or are there... I suppose you've already answered the question. <laughs> you, you have already really answered the question. No, I'm kind yeah, of just riffing by myself. No, here, yeah, you know? no I, sit, I sit with this a lot myself. Because there's days where like I, I go into this, you know, my own work and, and doing this inner work and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, geez, like, do I really have to keep going? Yeah. You kind of, once your eyes are open to this stuff, you kind of have to get, like, I don't feel like I have a choice. Yeah. And but, sorry. but maybe the guy next to me who never looks at this stuff might be happier. In, in the, like, yeah, you know? but they do say that. Hey, if you're not aware of all this stuff, you could be a lot happier. I'm, yeah. I won't say ignorance because it's not ignorance, but if you're just not aware of this world mm. of stuff, you're a lot happier. Um, I, I think something, and again, I'm going to use a medical analogy here because it's my background and it's where I started to see these things, but I now look at it in terms of life in general. It's the, the world and the, the things we deal with and how we live is actively subtracting from our lives in many, of, in many areas, such as, for example, Nowadays, st stress is higher. We have more exposure to carcinogens and the things that are bad for us. So mm. it's not like we're just neutral. And if we don't do good things, we're not going to improve, but we're not going to disimprove. The world is providing challenges constantly for us that cause us to deplete our tank. From a bigger lifestyle or life sense, there's constant interaction with social media and jobs and your boss and all this negative input, if you want to call it negative input. So I just wonder... We, we want to make sure that pe we, just, we just, you say, inv invite people. It's a lovely way of putting it. But we're inviting people. And on the other side, they're, they're herding them with sticks and saying, you need to do this and you need to have this job and have this much money and look this way to be successful. So you're getting beaten on one side and then kind of invited on the other side. It's, for me, I'm like, I'm wondering, is there, is there a more? Yeah. Um, is there more? I'm not saying you're not doing enough now. Don't get me wrong. For me, uh, the way I frame it now with the work I'm trying to do, particularly in the corporate space when I'm working with corporate clients, um, is I, I say to people that with physical physical health is reliant on physical fitness to some degree. You've got to physically practice uh, using your body and looking after your lifestyle on a consistent basis with the hope of having physical health. Doesn't mean you're not going to have physical health challenges. It just means when they arise, you've got more capacity. So yes. the person who's maybe obese is maybe going to have a much harder time with COVID. If COVID, that's what the, the research seemed to be saying or, I don't even want to talk about COVID, but, <laughs> but my, my, my physical practice on a consistent basis, my commitment to that fitness is what's going to give me the capacity to deal with physical health challenges. And I, I put it the same way that life will always bring us mental and emotional challenges. It's part of it. It's there for growth. It's there for our development. It's there to keep it interesting. It'll be boring if we were just content all the time, maybe. Yeah. Um, and so mental and emotional fitness practices are key in ensuring that I've built a capacity. So I encourage people to put little deposits in the bank every day um, to deal with the adverse, you know, experiences of yeah. life. Um, there will be a time when, you know, we all wake up. There'll be plenty of times where we all wake up and something comes out of the blue and we need to relax, you know, lean back on what's in the tank. Um, and so that's the work that we do on a consistent basis. Yeah. That's how I try to put it to people that it's small, consistent practices. Look after your mind, look after your mind-body connection and, you know, give yourself the best chance because life is hard. 
now we're getting into the meaty stuff that I really love because <laughs> I have these two words written here and I write them on almost every single page that I have when it comes to a podcast or anything is robust and resilient. Yeah. And a big part of what I was, I, I love this concept of becoming hard to kill or becoming superhuman or robust or emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever it is, because if you ignore the fact that that stuff is going to come out of the blue, it's mm. going to be a horrible surprise if you're not ready for it. Mm. And I think, again, I think it's Peterson. I don't agree with everything Peterson says, but there's some stuff he says and I'm like, wow, he's he's after he's after uh, alliterating something that I don't have the words or the education to explain, but it's been in my head for a long time. And he says, um, learn to become the lion, but be able to revert back to the lamb. So you want to yeah. you want to be strong and capable and robust and resilient in all aspects of your life but you learn to control it and you live your life as a gentle, compassionate, caring, loving person. Mm. But when something comes out of the woods, the lion is there, you can switch it on, you can deal with the challenge, protect your family, whatever it needs to be. And then you can switch it off again. Yeah. You can switch it on, switch it off. Um, and there's a, there's a, um, and again, I said I wouldn't go into social issues or anything like that, <laughs> but there's a, a lot of uh, commentary at the moment around men and men, men's relationships with women. And I've always been of the belief that men who do awful, awful things or uh, abuse and stuff like that, or the, the, the men in history who've done terrible things on mass scales, they're not really representative of what I think a man is. Because my dad taught me that a man is somebody who is strong and proud and able and capable, but who uses that to protect vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. And when I see the examples I used before, they're taking advantage of vulnerable people. So when we all get upset and angry at men, I'm like, but that's not what a man is. A man protects and helps and enables vulnerable people. Now, I'm not suggesting women are vulnerable people by any stretch of the imagination, but a man is not somebody who takes advantage of other people. So when we blame all men for abuse or for dictators or stuff like that, I'm like, that's not really fair, but it's a narrative nowadays and it's very hard to speak out against that because you're cancelled or you're your t- your typical male part of the patriarchy and all this kind of stuff. Do you see a lot of men? Because I know you work with a lot of men, and you have the the um, the base camp men's retreat. Do you see a lot of men who struggle with that narrative today, who need kind of a safe space to express these ideas? Because you can't really talk in open circles anymore about this idea if you don't have an education in it, like Peterson, for example. Yeah. Um yeah, I suppose the, back to the resilience piece, which will tie in um, to me, resilience is the ability to uh, be with a wide spectrum of emotions. So, again, if half my emotions are in shadow and have been shut down and I'm not allowed to feel them, I'm always going to try to be okay. hard, and yeah. be tough and be this and be this and be this. Uh, so, again, if I'm a man who's put my compassion and my kindness and my gentleness and my tenderness and my love and my presence all into shadow yeah. and I can only access half of my toolbox, you can think about all these emotions as different tools. So the resilience piece to me now is being able to work with the wide spectrum of emotions. And I keep it really simple. I have this thing of all of our difficult feelings point to unmet needs. So when one of my needs is not being met, a difficult feeling will emerge as a means of pointing me back to myself. And what I mean by that is I can see anxiety as bad and try to outrun it or outmove it or whatever it might be and get away from it. Or I can sit with my anxiety, get curious and ask, What's my unmet need? In that example, my unmet need is the need for calm, connectedness, presence, et cetera, et cetera. So I ask, how do I feel? What do I need? And then how can I meet that need in a healthy way? Because if we don't ask these questions and don't slow it down, we'll go to stupid means of trying to meet our needs. Like uh, I drank way too much in my 20s. Most weekends was out in the piss. And 
in retrospect, one of the needs I was trying to meet was the need for quieting my mind because I have a busy mind and I'm a little bit ADD. And so it was a way of quieting my mind was to drink too much. It was a means of meeting my need for connection because I wasn't getting a lot of connection outside of work. So I would meet my friends. So there's all these unconscious ways that we'll try and meet our needs. So again, if I'm unwilling to look at my difficult emotions, I'll keep acting in unconscious ways. You know, porn is probably a means for people to meet connection. Gambling is a means for people to uh, meet the need for some adventure, adventure, adventurous, uh, an adventurous aspect of their life. There's healthier ways of meeting all these, but again, we've got to be willing to look at the emotion. Um, but then to your question on, on the men and, and the challenge with, um, you know, maybe the guilt or the responsibility that they might feel based on that narrative. I think curiosity is like the most important word in the world at the moment. And like judgment, anytime someone's judged or someone's put on the back foot, they're going to get defensive. So if you say all men are this or all women are this, like straight away that you're going to get your back up and you're going to feel like, but there's definitely like confusion amongst men as to like, you know, um, who do I need to be? Like, yeah. what am I supposed to be? How, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, because uh, things have changed a lot in the last couple of generations, I suppose. Um, and it's this, I feel it's the same for women. It's it's mm. maybe it's not as sexy to talk about the, the identity issues for women because we're supporting women being progressive and, and, and powerful in their own rights and stuff like that. But I feel it's the same for women because that narrative is being forced on a lot of women that you must now be the CEO of a big company to deem yourself a successful person. Yeah. Whereas many women that I know personally, success for them is to is to have a family. And that is now seen as a, a chauvinistic stereotype. But if it's what a person, man or woman wants and they're respectful of other people and they, they live compassionately and all that kind of stuff, that, that should be supported and allowed and explored and you need to be curious about that. But we're not allowed to be curious about these things anymore because, and again, I, I use this word, but it's there is a narrative, there is a story being told. And if you don't toe the line with that story, it's a scary place to be because you're kind of on your own because people are afraid of, uh, hold on, this... I don't really feel like this because if you say that, well, well you should feel like this because we all feel like this. And yeah. um, so what I love about groups, and I know you, you uh, do you have women's groups or is it, is it male? No, no? I, I ran a women's retreat once. <laughs> uh, I, I was running a men's retreat and then I was like, why aren't you doing a women's one? And like that, I was like, okay, I'm going to do a women's one. Just kind of, I didn't even think, okay, you know? Yeah. And then I was like, I'm oh, it's weird for a man to be running a women's only retreat. I do mixed retreats though as well. Okay, yeah. But but man or woman, you create a safe space. Yeah. And I think it's a safe space that is lacking at the moment for a lot of people. Like for me, this little podcast cave is my safe space mm. and I bring people in and we, we, we can explore ideas and, and, and discuss things. But there are very few safe spaces, even at your kitchen table with your friends nowadays, because so many people are consuming so many different things from social media or from the news and are struggling to form their own ideas of what they feel because of this identity issue we spoke about before and they mightn't be in touch with the shadow. Uh, you you tend not to have particularly honest or open conversations that turn into arguments around, even with your friends or your family in particular, with families. I see a lot of families now, especially with certain issues that are going on at the moment, are being pulled apart. Yeah. Uh, and so it's hard. there's no safe space really anymore because... I bring this guy up a lot. People are going to be sick of me talking. Have you heard, you've heard of Sebastian Younger before? No. His book Tribe and doesn't directly deal with this, but he speaks essentially about, um, for example, groups of soldiers who were in Afghanistan. He, he was a war journalist. He spent some time with them in Afghanistan and he noticed a massive sense of brotherhood and shared responsibility and connection and purpose. And they all knew their only mission every day was to keep themselves and their brothers alive and to mm. complete the mission. And they really struggled when they came back into the real world, the modern world, to integrate because it was massively individual. Your, the mission was you. 
you have to get the job, you have to get the promotion. See all these guys in the office and all these girls in the office? You're competing against all of them. So you're against all of these people. And then you have to get your mortgage and you have to, the, a sign of success, he said, is a, a longer driveway with a bigger hedge that shuts you off from your community. Yeah. That's a sign of success. Yeah. So now, when you have your friends around a table, each one of those people have come in from their individual channel of dealing with their individual stuff all day long. And now you're trying to discuss community topics. It's very hard because that's not a safe space because you're afraid. If I say something and Pat doesn't like it, he might get angry at me or I might be, I might look stupid in front of all these people because I don't think the same thing that they do or they might judge me. We mightn't be friends anymore. But I think when you have these like retreats or uh, groups, yeah. man, they keep just appearing everywhere. Like, why do they appear? Because people crave them. They crave a connection. It's a safe space. You mm-hmm. can talk about these things without fear of being cancelled or shouted at. And when you have someone like you guiding and facilitating that, I think it's amazing. What what does what does something like that look like for someone who mightn't be aware of what these like? They think you all go down, stand your head in the sea, and <laughs> wave onions around or something. What 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 does something like that look like? A, a space like that. Um, we sit in circle, um, so shoulder to shoulder, you can see each man within the circle or each person. Um, so there's that kind of sense of openness and and um, a sense of what happens in the circle stays in the circle. Um, we'll operate in. We call it way of counsel. So way of counsel has a couple of principles, just suggestions on how people communicate. The first is you speak from your heart. So day to day life, we tend to speak a lot from our heads. You know, I'm sitting with someone new and I'm thinking, what what should I say for them to see me? In a certain? There's a lot of heady stuff there and I get a lot of filtering, a lot of editing. So the first suggestion with way of counsel is speak from your heart. So speak with what's present for you. Um, the second suggestion is listen from your heart, which means if there's 20 men in a circle, the guys are going to say things you don't like. Guys are going to upset you and agitate you. Guys are going to, um, at the end of our check-ins, um, so when each man checks in, you'd finish your, your piece and we just say shine, meaning that's it in Irish. And then the group will say mahu, uh, thank you, I you know. And what I say to the men is, saying mahu doesn't mean you agree with the man. It doesn't mean that you support what they're saying. It just means that you hear them fully. So speak from the heart, listen from the heart. Third kind of principle we suggest is be spontaneous. Um, so, you know, if there's 20 of us in a circle and a couple of guys have to check in before me and it's coming to me, I'm not thinking ahead as to what I'm going to say because it could change based on what the guy next to me says. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth is just to be lean of expression, not to be going round in circles, but to get to the meat of what's going on. And uh, no, there's no need for small talk and stuff. But what a retreat looks like is, um, you know, we bring up different topics. We ask each man to share kind of how he feels and where he sits on the different topics. We do uh, breath work, um, fairly deep breath work processes. We do trauma release exercises. We do, uh, we did ecstatic dance last week. Uh, it was funny, I, I finished a retreat last weekend. We did a fire ceremony where we, we offered kind of things we were letting go of into the fire. And the guys were saying, if you told me I was at this two years ago, I would have thought you were daft. I said, if you told me I was facilitating this two years ago, I would have thought you were daft. Um, but for me, a lot of like, when my, my life just wasn't working at times, I had to try different things. And some of these things I've tried have been useful in my life. But back on your point of, um, you know, this, this sense of isolation or disconnection, Johan Harry, who wrote that book, Last Connections, yes. I don't know the specific quote, but he has something along the lines of loneliness is not the absence of people. It's the absence of people that you feel you can share what's meaningful to you with. Oh, yeah. And so I think when people come to these retreats, not just my retreats, but any retreat where they can be open and they can have these kind of Conversations from the heart is the easiest way of putting it, not based on judgments and expectations, but based on what's present. Um, it nourishes something in you you didn't know needed nourishing. So you just walk away with this feeling of lightness. And similar to your 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 idea with the, the 
the tribe and the, the soldiers coming back. There's the idea of the village, which I think is a nice kind of framework. And the idea with the village is if we go back, you know, to how we would have evolved, you know, it's, it's, um, it's wishful thinking to think we'd ever go back to, to certain elements. But there would have been, say, 150 people in the village. And because there was 150 people, each person was needed. Each person had a role. There was the baker and there was the podcaster and, there was, you know, there was, all, there was all these different roles. But because each person had a role, each person had purpose. And because each person had a role, each person needed the other people within the group. So it was a community thing. Um, and you would really mourn if you lost someone within the group because it wasn't just about them. It was, again, this collective piece. There was no comparison. Well, look, there was loads of issues, I'm sure, but you wouldn't have had the comparison of, you know, I think about it myself, having a podcast. You've got a podcast. There's millions of podcasts out there gets competitive and you start to, even with the best of intentions, you're like, you're measuring up to other people. Um, and, you know, those other elements to the village that would have been really useful in terms of the elders, the older people in the village weren't put in the nursing home. They were there and they passed on the wisdom of their lifetime. And then the kids were maybe uh, learning from the elders and, you know, it all just worked. Um, whereas modern world, I guess another <laughs> benefit of the village and again, I recognize as I'm saying this, we're never going back to this, but it's, it's how do we take elements of this? Um, but a challenge, I suppose, for a lot of us now is maybe we've got a partner and we expect that partner to tick all the boxes that maybe 150 people would have ticked years ago. So I want, I want her to be my best friend and I want her to be my lover and I want her to be my confidant and I want her to be, you know, all these different, there's this massive expectation yeah. on the people in our lives because maybe we don't have that wider community. So that's how I think why CrossFit and all these things have gotten so popular in recent years, tribe, we, we, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of what we need. It is absolutely part of who we are. And you said, you said a few, a few beautiful things as well. I, I don't bear his number at 150. It came up in the book tribe, but Sebastian Younger as well. And it's a concept I always think about because people, they immediately throw the baby out with the bathwater by saying, we're never going back there. I'm like, but no, but there's really important lessons to learn from that, that we can employ nowadays mm. like I think don't get me wrong it's amazing me and you are sitting here we both do podcasts we've got microphones we drove here in a car it's incredible technology is incredible it's amazing I love it I love being part of the modern world but it's not without it's negatives in my opinion and there were some many negative you get eaten by a, a lion when you're in, in your tribe of 150 people however there was massive lessons to be taken from that and it's like it's like religion in this country I and this is one of those cliched phrases. It's really cliched. I am not a religious person, but I'm very spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even like saying that, but I believe in many, many, many parts of what religion is based on. Uh, having a personal code, having a group code, being good to other people and all that kind of stuff. And with, in this country in particular, but I see it all over the world by getting, by removing religion from the equation because we had a problem with certain aspects of religion. So our generation now, or like most people in our generation, I think it's fair to say like, fuck religion, not, not interested. But we've also removed a huge amount of the, the principles that we learned from that yeah. and the code and the, the, the kind of glue that bound us together as groups and, and gave us a group identity. So now we split it off into millions of other group identities and that's where all these different parties and all these different groups come up and um, but if we were able to just sit down and not kind of roll our eyes at religion or the 150 people there's so many lessons and obviously this is a lot of what you employ with your groups and with your education this is the curiosity piece again yeah. i think rather than judgment the biggest in my judgment, I, I, I'm starting to say this more in my judgment before I share something because, you know, I need to own my own judgments and not... You're very good with language. <laughs> I'm try, I, I get trying to up improve. on this all the time, but the really? words I use, yeah. Really, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to yeah, just get more conscious but um, of, of how I speak. But um, I would say in my judgment because, you know, again, when we're in the circle, I, I use that example of the circle of 20 guys all sharing 
sometimes a man will say something like, obviously it's been a really, you know, tough two years for us all. And we just, we've had a really hard two years. And that can get someone else's back up where they're saying, hold on a second, buddy, I've had the best two years of my life. Why are you speaking for me? Okay. You know, so it's, we, we do this, we will point to our chest, yeah. meaning bring it back to I. So I've had a tough two years. Okay. Uh, or you might say, you know how us men are not good at showing our emotions. You'll do I. Because it's like, nobody, I've been working on showing my emotions. You might not be able to show your yeah. So anyway. Um, I like that a lot. In my judgment, the, 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 the biggest issue, both, again, you, you mentioned it earlier, there's the internal game and there's the external game. So these political leaders that are, you know, not looking at their shadow aspects or any of us that are not, um, there's that internal, uh, what would you call it, fragmentation, the disconnect. There's not a connection. There's not a um, integration of all parts. There's, there's the light and the dark and they haven't been, you know, merged. Um, and so that person goes out into the world and polarizes everything in the world where everything's black or it's white. If I can understand my darkness, then I can understand some of the darkness that's gone on out there. And now I don't need to judge it. I can be curious about it and then things can start to change. Um, but I think black and white thinking is the biggest issue in the world because <laughs> yeah. the people that I hate, I just fail to see their, like me and you are sat opposite each other here. Um, I can't see what you can see behind me. You can't see what I can see behind you. And we can argue, like, as to what we're each seeing. We can argue for our viewpoint, but we're only seeing through our own eyes. Whereas if we both stand up and swap seats, then we can see from the other perspective. And that's what's missing in the world, I think. Again, both internally, where I make everything good or bad. Oh, I'm a good person if I do my push-ups and I eat my broccoli. I'm a bad person if I skip my workout and I, I drink too many pints. Yeah, It's like, no, just, like, get curious about all parts. I think black and white thing is the biggest as you say, with the religion thing, oh, bro, fuck religion. It's like, no, there's loads of good stuff in religion. All religion, like all religions point back to the same message. Um, you know, so. Be good to each other. Be, good to, be yeah, cool, be, man. Be sound. Yeah. And they know? all talk about shadow also. I mean, they all talk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed with shadow at the moment. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's all about, and, um, and wounds. Jesus had his wounds on the cross and he, you know, people projected onto Jesus. Jesus was a leader who was, uh, you know, they projected on, you know, yeah, rather than deal with their own stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. And this, and this is something we see in modern day is like the media and celebrities and politicians provide the perfect distraction for us from our own stuff. It's a lot easier for me to point at Irish politicians and say, look at these guys. They don't have a clue what they're doing. They're, they're spoofers. They're this, they're that. They're, they're, again, there's three fingers pointing back at me, but it's a lot easier to look at them than to look at myself and be like, where am I being a spoofer in my life? Because there's goal there. Where am I being a spoofer? Oh, well, I'm saying one thing, but I'm not really doing that in my own life. Okay. There's work. I can do something with that. I can't do anything about him being a spoofer, but I can look at myself, you know? Yeah. Um, so they all provide a perfect distraction. And um, I'm going to go a little bit conspiracy on you here, go a little bit deep on that okay. one there. Yeah. Do you reckon a certain part of that or a certain element of that distraction is by design? I, now, I'm not talking about overlords here pulling strings and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but... We live in a, a competition-driven, capitalistic world. I don't have an issue with any of that stuff as it is. They're just things. They're just they're, they're why we have these mics in front of us because somebody created this to make money, but they also benefit us. So I think that's a good relationship if we're willing to pay for that and pay the price. Yeah. But I also think there is a, a benefit for the bigger system if yeah. we're all not working on ourselves, we're working to try and buy the new mic and buy the new car and get the bigger job. And I, I, I do think there's, this is why I was saying, I, I do think there's actively forces, I'm not talking about good or evil, I'm talking about just external forces pushing us one way. 
So that's why I think it's so important to do the work the other way. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel that as well? Do you find there's maybe an ex- a, a huge external force pushing us one way? And again, I'm not talking about good and evil here. I'm not trying to make this a, a big uh, right versus wrong argument. I just think that's a fact. Mm. Well, consumerism is a way of numbing and, and yes. uh, a way of... Uh, but we're told it'll make us happy. Yeah, Um and again, Jim Carrey has this thing. What did he, I think Jim Carrey said something like, I wish everyone could be rich and famous so they'd see it's not yeah, the answer, you few, know? He's like, a few big ones, isn't he? Ah, Life he's, doesn't he's a happen to guy. you, it happens for you and yeah, all this, yeah. He's a deep guy. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you've watched that minimal minimalism film. I haven't watched it, but I've 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 been into a few guys who are diving deep into minimalism minimalism lately. Yeah, film is worth a gawk. I think I off the top of my head, remembering I think the guy said that his partner split up with him, and his long term girlfriend or fiance broke up with him in the same week, and he found himself in IKEA just buying a wardrobe or something, and he was just like he just stopped and he's like, what am I doing? He's it's like, not Matt Matt Davilia in in the movie, is it? No, I think he directed the movie actually. He di- okay, because it's yeah. Matt that I follow, and I knew he directed. Oh, he was involved in some way. In he's the movie. great at what he's he does. Amazing. Um, but yeah, the guy just had this light bulb moment where where he was like, oh, I'm just like trying to numb myself here and not let myself feel what I feel. So I think there's definitely elements of everything outside of myself can distract me from what's going on internally. And again, yeah. as you say, it's balance. It's like, you know, I don't want to be, for me, I don't want to spend my whole life analyzing, you know, every part of my childhood experience and pro- try to process my emotions. It's like, no, but I do want to be aware of what's going on. Yeah. I don't want to run away from my anxiety. I want to be like, oh, what's going on here? Like I had a rough couple of months recently and it was more about like, I don't want to run around this. I don't want to try to get past this. I, I want to go into this and like come out the far side a bit wiser and a bit more aware of myself. Um, that's what it is, I think. Mm. Do you mind me asking, because you did say this to me a few months ago, that there was a bit was a bit of a rough patch, a bit of turbulence. Mm. This is something that I used to struggle with a lot and I still do. Um, not that I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same kind of work as you are, but in a position where you're trying to help people or coach people or when I was in the clinic trying to actually help people with their health, feeling like an absolute fraud because yeah. they look at you like the, you're the guy, yeah. you're Pat Dively. My yeah. God, you're Pat, yeah, yeah. And then they, they may be seeing your social media that you, you've kind of signed off and you've taken a step back and they're like, but he's Pat Dively. He has all the secrets. <laughs> he, works, he lives in the shadow. Like, yeah. is, is that something you deal with personally? Uh, that, that imposter syndrome, that kind of feeling of, I'm, I'm trying to help other people, but... I can't help myself sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, there was, uh, yeah, there, I, I don't know, it's shame the word, but there was definitely feelings of just questioning everything. I was like, geez, I've like, dedicated the last 10 years of my life to like figuring out like this stuff and self-talk. And I've just finished a book on how we talk to ourselves and I just can't get the, the inner critic out of my head and I just feel completely overwhelmed and I have no reason to be out and all this kind of stuff. And then this fear of, oh, if I share about my struggles, there's a part of me that's like, oh, it's nice that people say I appreciate your vulnerability, but I'm, the, my inner critic says, yeah, but behind that they're thinking you're you're a fucking spoofer. Like, what do you you know you, yeah. you, you you're all talk, you struggle with your mental health. What could you know, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's it it, it 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 does feel vulnerable at times. I mentioned to you I can talk about struggles I've had ten years ago, and it's fine because it's been and gone, you know. And it doesn't matter how dark the days got, I can talk about them now. But when you're when I, when I'm in the mix of it and and I'm feeling rough. Um, and I'm struggling it's hard to talk about it then because you're kind of like well geez I'm delivering workshops (laughs) at present you know but but it is what it is Um, yeah yeah. and I think I think I actually have 
transitioned to thinking the opposite now than I used to think of being an imposter. I'm like, if you've personally experienced something and are currently personally experiencing something, because anybody, which is everybody really, but anybody who struggles with their, and again, this phrase mental health, it's, it's an unfortunate, there's an unfortunate kind of pop popularity around using this phrase because it's a social virtue kind of thing to put on your Instagram page, mental health. Mm. But it's massively important that it is the health of your mind, which cannot be unlinked from the health of your body. I, I think being able to, to to talk about that from a place of somebody who is a person and who deals with that and is very open with that and is open about the fact that they're not on top of it or in charge of it. It's just a thing that happens to me all the time and I have these tools that I use sometimes. Mm. You can speak from a place of authority then when you're helping other people because you can be very open and honest with them as opposed to I've done a course on mental health and I can help you because I or I, I went to college for four years and I have a degree so I can help you. There's benefits there, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to undermine that. But there's a lot more authenticity and relatability to somebody who struggles, I think, I feel anyway. They say you can learn it or you can earn it. Well, uh, you or bo- or both, you know, you can, yeah. I can learn it from a book or I can earn it through experience or I can do both. Um, and back, you mentioned the hero's journey earlier on of that idea of I live my ordinary life, something calls me to a sense of adventure, I go on this thing and I battle, the, I slay the dragon and I get the treasure. But the last part of that hero's journey is you come back to the village and now you're wiser and you've got medicine for the village. Yeah. So now you support the village by saying, I've just been to war and here's what I brought back for you. So I sort of bring that sense into my own <laughs> challenges and demons where I'm like, right, I'm going to get past this thing or I'm going to figure this out and come back to my village, my podcast and say, Guys, I've just been to hell. <laughs> I've just been to hell in my <laughs> Tonight mind. Tonight we die in <laughs> yeah. hell. But it makes me so much more compassionate. It makes me so much more aware. It's, I can't imagine how disconnected I would be from my audience if, if I was just feeling good all the time. Yeah, you know? I think it makes you it makes you understand the things that you're saying a lot deeper. Um, yeah. I have a lot of aha moments nowadays uh, of things I would have felt in the past. And so you, you might say something to be like shadow work. I, I, when I voiced noted yesterday, it's like I, this thing is bouncing around my head now, this phrase shadow work, shadow work. Because mm. it, it calls on so many things I've experienced in the past. I'm like, that makes so much sense. I have loads of those moments now, now that I'm a little bit more aware, just mm. a little bit more aware of myself. All these phrases and things. I tell a story sometimes about when my, my first child was born, Zoe, um, Jesus, nearly four years ago now, but when she was born, up until that point, people would say things to me like, your life will change forever. Yeah. You will love... This you've child, never love like, like you've, you've never known love like yeah. it. And those were just words. I'd be like, I just smile and give the thumbs up. And on the inside, I'm like, that means nothing to me. And then as soon as they handed me that child, I was like, ah, uh, all that stuff started to make sense. So I feel like now I'm in a position where I'm aware of what I've been through in the past and all of these phrases and things that I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes them, I'm kind of a little bit more aware and open to it. Um, in terms of trying to go down this pathway of self-discovery and gain some awareness and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I believe, and it's something I said to you, I'm having a little bit of confusion with at the moment because, I, I, again, I'm, I have lots of different inputs. I, I've, I watch lots of different people and hear lots of different opinions. I'm really interested in a broad spectrum of opinions on this. I believe that a, a certain level of work is required. Now, you can replace work or whatever word you want, exploration or curiosity or whatever, but I don't believe you can be passive and actually make major, unless you're very lucky or something happens, you have a massively supportive community that are guiding you through and you don't even know. I don't think you can actually, I don't believe that you can actually make any real progress on your own personal development. And when I say personal development, I'm not meaning 
hustle culture and be the best you can be and all that. I mean, exploring yourself unless you actually do something. And I, I, I don't define what that something has to be, but I like the idea of personal challenge. I like the idea of physical exercise as something that teaches me about myself and my mind. Because when you're in some difficult exercise, you're challenging yourself. Can I do this? You can't do this. Drop out. You want it. And you're constantly battling that. And when you finish it, you're like, I did it. Yeah. And you learn something about yourself. Do you believe something along the lines of you need to have a certain level of work or practice? Or I know you like to live the day to day life now when you're having your non-negotiables. And this is something we hear quite a lot nowadays. James Clear must be yeah. absolutely delighted. His book is I'm mentioning almost every podcast ever around the yeah. world. But regular routine habits and work. Do you believe, do you subscribe to that model that you have to do something? You don't have to do anything that anybody else does. But if you're passive, you're kind of just like a leaf on the wind in terms of how you're going to feel. Because you're going to have bad days and good days, but you've no control over how you respond to those mm. if you don't practice are you familiar with Tony Robbins uh, yes, six yeah. human needs yes yeah so for people aren't familiar Tony Robbins talks about all of our decisions are driven by um, the human needs or the, the six needs so the first need is the need for certainty so when I drink coffee I'm certain of the feeling it gives me hence I drink coffee then there's uncertainty I go to the movies to watch a movie because life would be boring if I always knew what was coming next uh, then there's significance so um, I raise a lot of money for charity because it makes me feel significant. It makes me feel important. Then there's love and connection. Uh, if I'm afraid of love, I'll settle for connection. So it's kind of one of the two. So I do certain things for love. So they're the first of the four human needs. But the two that he says, you know, we talked earlier about the really successful people that just don't seem happy. Tony says the last two are the spiritual needs. So he says you need growth and you need contribution in order for you to feel fulfilled. He said you can be successful, but success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. That's one of his lines. That's cool. And so... I think that's that's a good framework or a good piece to look at is have I got growth and contribution in my life? And if people were to look over the course of their life as to when they were happiest, I'd be willing to bet those two or at least one of them was involved. Personal growth of some kind or the growth of a relationship or the growth of a business or the growth of something meaningful and the idea of going beyond yourself and helping other people. Um, so I think those two boxes need to be ticked in your external reality. You need to be growing on some level, which again, shadow work, I keep talking about shadow work, but the inner work could be seen as growth. You know, I'm coming to understand myself, that's personal growth, um, personal acceptance. Um, or again, it could be f moving in the right direction with my job, moving in the direction of what I want. So that piece, and then again, not being caught up in my own stuff so much that I forget that I'm a part of something bigger. Um, and, our, and you know, it's a good thing to remember for us all. My life is not about me. Your life is not about you. You know, when you when you realize that, I think the world changes because as soon as, as long as I think my life is about me, it's very isolating and very lonely and very, <laughs> it's not, a, you know, your life is not about you. Um, so I think, yeah, I think those pieces are important, growth and contribution. And yeah, I don't know if that answers directly. It but, does, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have a follow-on question, but what, what do you mean exactly by your life is not about you? Because I, li I, I, I agree and I like it, but can you expand on it a little bit? Yeah, um, well, like maybe that growth and contribution again, like everything in nature, like nature's a lot bigger than us. Everything in nature grows or it dies. It doesn't just sit there really for the most part. Yeah. Like it's either growing or it's dying. Yeah, yeah, um, same for us, we're growing or we're dying. Um, and again, that definitely doesn't mean I've got a podcast with a million listens. I need to get to two million. It's not about linear growth, which probably is a, a, a construct of the mind as well. This kind of linear idea of progress. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that myself the last year where sometimes I feel like I'm not reaching my goals, but there's 10 other ways that I've evolved over the last six months that I just hadn't written down, but we're always growing. But you this know? one thing you wrote down, you're not getting Didn't closer get to it. Yeah, like, I would oh. say like when I had the gym years ago, people would, you know, they'd come in and they say, I'm sleeping better and I'm confident and, you know, my sex drive is better and like my digestion's better and I 
feeling so good and then they step on the scales and it wouldn't have the number that they wanted and they'd <laughs> yeah. get sad all of a sudden um, but yeah that, then the contribution element is um, I mean I'm a big fan of Viktor Frankl who wrote Man's Search for Meaning and come up with log- Logotherapy and um, I don't know I, I've talked about this a bit on my own podcast but there was three schools hope this is, this is not too nerdy there was three schools of Viennese psychotherapy um, Freud came along first and Freud said life is about trying to move away from pain and toward pleasure and that's kind of the guiding principle of life that's how you find happiness so that was Freud and then Adler came along and Adler said no it's about power he said we all have this inferiority complex and so the goal of life is to get ahead and that and then Viktor Frankl came along and he says no that's not what it's about he said it's about finding meaning in your struggle he said there will be struggle you've got to find meaning you've got to re- find a reason to go beyond your, your, your struggle and I take those three so Pleasure and pain was the first. Power and getting ahead of other people was the second. And then meaning and purpose, these were the three schools. I think childhood is about trying to avoid pain and and move toward pleasure. I think being an adolescent is about trying to get ahead and trying to find your place in the world. But I think being a mature adult is about meaning and going beyond yourself. I think when your life, for me at least... The times when I get depressed, I get very caught up in Pat Dively's problems, Pat Dively's challenges. And it's like, I forget that, I forget the common humanity of anything I ever go through, other people will have gone through and will be going through worse at the same time. And that sense of connection takes you out of your own yeah. mini game, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's two things that you said that are really lighting me up. Moving away from pain into pleasure. And it's funny now because a lot of the time now, you actually kind of have to do the opposite a little bit. You're going to have to move towards that pain a little bit, knowing that pleasure's on the far side of it. So the ultimate goal is pleasure. But if you just ignore the pain, you're never really going to have the pleasure. You're just going to be in this constant grey or pain. And I find yeah. people fluctuate from the grey to the... So you kind of have to move towards that. And again, to bring us back to what we, we, we said at the start, that monster, the shadow, you kind of have to turn around and acknowledge it's there and move towards it, understanding that you're going to have the rewards on the far side. So we are looking for pleasure. But... I think a part of the consumerism is, I'll tie in really nicely here, the consumerism <laughs> you mentioned is, there's chocolate bars right there and there's a new car around the corner and you can you can just ignore the pain altogether by going towards this instant gratification, this instant pleasure, this, this Instagrammable instant like and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, you're just ignoring the, the real shadow, the real pain, the real stuff and that pleasure is going to be transient, it's going to be gone, it's going to be, it's, it's not real pleasure, it's fake pleasure. Yeah. So it's just very interesting you put it that way. And the second thing you mentioned there then, I listened to Simon Sinek speak with Abby Marcus there lately uh, about the infinite game. And the infinite game is, it's, it, you kind of have to accept it's not about you if you subscribe to this model of the inf- infinite game because I'm going to die. And I, t- I say this a lot and it's, it's a very harsh thing for people to hear. And I'm not trying to say it to be shocking, but I am going to die. And at some point, nobody, nobody on this earth will ever know I existed. So it's kind of irrelevant. My problems are kind of irrelevant if I think about it like that. But what is important is what we can contribute to, to the, the bigger picture, the growth, the, the community, the, the eat, the, I don't know, I don't, even want to, I don't even have a word. And that kind of leads me on nicely to the next point because you mentioned ayahuasca. Mm. And we spoke about plant medicines and... I, I've said before on this podcast, I had an experience with, with ketamine therapy and what was overwhelming for me in that was this sense of the infinite. I don't have words for it. I don't have the, the right words to say what I'm trying to say here, but there was a sense of it's not me. It's not anybody. It's all, and this sounds real airy fairy, but it's <laughs> all connected energies. And I was, I was just seeing and feeling this. And two years later, sitting here, I still feel that. And there's a massive drive in me to move closer to that. So when I have problems like my fucking pens after running out of ink, this asshole's after cutting me off in traffic, now I have another piece of me that says, 
That's irrelevant. That's yeah. irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. What's actually going on here? I wonder if that guy's okay. He's really angry. And you start thinking slightly differently, which is bizarre to me. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna bite on that ayahuasca because <laughs> you said it. You brought it up. So it, that's ob- obviously, that's an, there's loads of tools we can use. Breathwork, journaling, men's circles, therapy, medicines. But this is another tool. Yeah. This world of plant medicines. Can you give us a little bit of a, an insight into your experience or your understanding of the plant medicine world? Yeah, um, similar uh, shadow. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I suppose the 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 ego or the the persona, the identity we carry around. One of the reasons we have dreams and our dreams are kind of wild and wacky is because the persona gets to go to sleep when you get to go to sleep, uh, and so the it shadow. All comes out. Yeah, it all comes out, and you know, Carl Jung looks at dream analysis and love, kind of. I think the idea, I'm not very good, and I don't understand a lot about dream analysis. I write down my dreams just to just to have them there. I don't try to make too much sense of them. Do you do it when you wake up straight away? Yeah. The, the, the do couple, you remember them? A couple, couple of tricks that can be useful. One is uh, if, you, when you're going, if you want to remember your dreams, when you're going to sleep, just say out loud, tonight I will remember my dreams. I have excellent dream recall, just something like that. And just willing yourself, it, you, you will tend to wow. much better. And then the secret when you wake up is once you open your eyes and start moving, it'll disappear. So I hold, hold the position that I wake <laughs> up in if I remember and uh, just jot it down. But yeah, Carl Jung will talk about, um, you know, the power of our dreams and the fact that all the characters in our dreams might seem like other people, but they represent parts of ourselves. So they're archetypal characters. Um, but uh, yeah, the plant medicine stuff, I suppose, similar... Mm, Resistance is futile, you know. You, you, you drink a you drink a cup of ayahuasca and or, or, or take a heavy dose of mushrooms or whatever it might be. It pulls away a lot of of, of strips that stuff. it all off. Yeah, and you, you you can fight it, but I mean, it's it's just going to be a miserable journey. You yeah. have to kind of surrender and um, and it just you know it shows you interesting in new parts. For me, for me. I see that stuff almost like a deep clean in the kitchen, you know. And then the work for the next six months is to just tidy every day and just keep stay on top of it with meditation and stuff like that. But that's uh, like that stuff helps you go really deep. Um, yeah, I, f- I find that's an important thing to note when it comes to plant medicines and stuff like that because there, especially in Ireland, there's a lot of misunderstanding around what it is. And if you're not familiar, or haven't had exposure to this world, it's very easy to dismiss it as ah, oh, your master's high office. Of course, he loves everybody and everything. But it is a tool, and what I've seen, and don't get me wrong, by the way, I'm going to qualify this. I am far from an expert in this. I'm massively interested. I speak to a lot of people on it. I've, I've had a very limited experience myself, but all of that that I have experienced has been eye-opening for me in terms of helping me get right down to the root. Like I said, I don't have words for it, but it strips away a lot of the constructs. I am Dan. I, I am this person who does these things. That's all gone. And it's not a case of you're standing there naked in front of all the things <laughs> you've ever done in your life. It, it, doesn't, it didn't work that way for me. Yeah. It was more of a... Um, a an exposure of for me to what really what I really look like if I dig right down through all the shit I tell myself every single day it's all that's gone it doesn't exist anymore you've now so if you, as you said if you fight that that's a terrifying experience it's literally someone trying to pull you out of what you've built to protect yourself yeah but if you surrender to that and I think I've explained before my first time I did it I fought it I was a terrifying experience when I understood afterwards that I needed to surrender and relax and I knew what was going to happen it was just eye-opening but it what was very evident for me, it showed me something. And the biggest takeaway I had was now the work starts. So it's not a, it can be a reset in some senses, but it shows you this is possible. But to do this, you don't take drugs every day. 
you can do things. You can tidy your kitchen regularly. You can build small practices that will bring you closer to something that you now know to be true. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a revelationary experience, but it doesn't necessarily fix anything. Nothing fixes you or fixes. There's no fixing to be done, but it shows you here are some things you can do to bring you closer to a way you can live your life. Yeah, I mean, it can be quite disruptive. You know, it, it can, can be, be terrifying. Um, yeah. And even, you know, if you see. If you're shown something that's very different to your current reality, that's very confronting. Yeah. And so there's a lot of work in it. I think the integration aspect is really important and overlooked in terms of, it's a little bit different, but I was climbing a mountain out in Russia a couple of years ago and, uh, <laughs> I just practically just throws these That's things right. into con- I was just climbing this mountain in Russia a couple of years ago. Oh, you know the way we all climb these mountains. In- <laughs> no. But I had, uh, we were a couple of down off the mountain and, uh, I don't know, we were nine days, I think. And um, generally on the mountains, you've got, I don't know, 10 in a team and different people. I mean, to Africa, I've been to Nepal, done these different trips. So people are talking about the next trip and the Russian guy got fairly thick with us. And he sat us down at dinner and he said, there's three aspects to any trip. He didn't, he didn't, mean, a, he didn't mean a psychedelic trip, but he meant a, a mountain trip. And he said, there's the, there's the planning the trip and getting excited to go to Russia. And he says, then there's on the mountain. And he says, then you go home and then there's the post mountain kind of integration, if you will. He said, you should have those three elements to your trip. You should have looking forward to it, fully experiencing it and then reliving it and not be talking about the next mountain, uh, will you? And I thought it was, it was quite profound and probably similar not even just for psychedelic stuff, but if people were to want to go and do a retreat, one of the uh, the exercises I encouraged the guys from last week's men's retreat to do was when they got home, give it a couple of days, but then write about your experience from getting in the car to go to the retreat to getting in your car to leave the retreat. What did that look like? And just get to relive it in that way. So I think that can be an interesting thing for us all to... Mm-hmm. My experience, again, at least is oftentimes I do one thing and I'm on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. There's no pause to kind of, it's like if you're reading a book and you, you say, geez, that's that's really clever. And then you just keep reading, right? Like, like <laughs> yeah. what if I underlined that and closed the book and actually tried to do something with it? I probably wouldn't need to be reading as many books, you know? That is a golden nugget. That has been the key for me because I was a big consumer of information for years and years and years and years and years and years. And, years. and as I said, the only thing that helped me when I was struggling was doing things as well big on this doing something yeah. it, it is a million ways of doing everything out there but you have to do some of them so I laugh I, I, I laughed about James Clear's Atomic Habits because I have so many self-help books and I realised I'm doing no, I'm just consuming this stuff and I'm doing literally none of it so implementation became a big part of like yeah. what am I now doing and you mentioned that lovely little kind of analogy the Russian the Russian guy um explained and it, it's so true from a psychedelic point of view from talking to people who are into psychedelics obviously intent yeah. set and setting yeah. then in the experience surrender but then afterwards reflect and plan implement practice do and re- and what rinse wash and repeat but it's like that for everything yeah. before this podcast i sat down I, I actually have a mentor now from a business point of view who's it's the same thing and he says to me uh, the business is a tool for my personal development at the start i was like is it? but then like it's the same thing everything i do in the business what's the intent Okay, now I'm, I'm doing it to the best of my ability. I'm here, I'm enjoying it. Okay, afterwards reflect what went well, what didn't go well, how did the experience go, and then repeat. Because yeah. I found myself day to day, especially running my own business after not having done it for such a long time to now running a business, which I thought was all kind of sexy and cool. I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, not the case at all. Like everything else in my life, if I wasn't very clear on what I was doing and why I was doing it and how I was going to do it, if I didn't apply myself to that one task and not be distracted by 19 things, and if I didn't reflect at the end of it, it was just chaos. Just coming in here every day, whatever, the phone rings, yeah, doing this for that and everybody. And you look back after a week, a month, a year, and you're like, 
Yeah. What the hell is that? There's a, I, I like the quote of, um, we don't learn from experience, we learn from reflecting on our experience. Yeah. You should have a hangover every week. You don't necessarily <laughs> learn from it, you know, but if yeah. you sit down, you reflect, and you say, here's how this has impacted my life. Maybe there's something there. So I think reflection is huge. Yeah. I'm obviously huge on journaling. That's one of my big practices is like, just get curious about your life. Um, Any... Because I struggled Now I'm much better now Just simply from Because it was Paula Ralph originally She was in the podcast Maybe two years ago okay. And she just said it to me I asked her Because she was big on journaling And yeah. at the time I was like Paula I'm trying yeah. I'm bullshitting myself I'm lying to myself I'm not writing enough I'm just commentating on the day And at the end of it There's nothing really in this And she was like Just do it yeah, And do it And do it Just keep writing And mm. um, what, what's, what's the quote To, to I can't remember what the, I'm going to butcher so I won't even try but essentially it's keep writing and like do more pages and then you'll 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 learn about yourself the more you write you'll eventually break through that barrier even if it all just means nothing yeah break through the resistance yeah do you have any kind of helpful tips for people I have a free 14 day journaling course <laughs> free 14 day journaling course on the website is yeah, it yeah yeah I'll see I guess send on the link to that um why do you think it's so powerful um because it gets here's an analogy um if if I go to RTE and I watch them filming a TV show and there's two guys sat at dinner at the TV show or a couple sat at dinner, it looks quite bland and boring and it probably is quite bland and boring. It's very, it just is what it is, two people having dinner. Yeah. Then they take that and they put it into post-production and they add special effects, close-ups, dramatic music and suddenly it, it's, it, it uh, evokes emotion. I think in life things happen they're quite bland and they're quite chill and not, there's not a lot to it. My friend turns up late for lunch and I put that in my head and I add special effects and close-ups <laughs> and music and now it's this emotional thing. My friend doesn't respect me and all this kind of craziness. <laughs> okay. The mind is just crazy and your mind will always base its perception on your past experience, which means we're just recreating cycles. All of my triggers in life are memories being triggered. That It's not 33-year-old Pat. When I get insecure in a group, it's not 33-year-old Pat. It's the seven-year-old that was bullied who is still inside of me, still alive in me. So it's all memories. All of our stuff is memories. If me and you woke up with amnesia today and didn't remember anything, we wouldn't feel any expectation on ourselves to show up in a certain way or be a certain type of person. So who, how we see ourselves is purely based on memory. And so journaling gets you, you know, puts you in a position, my friend Robin has this expression of moving from a conditioned life to an imagined life. So you get to see some of your conditioning. And um, I think that's useful. Um, there's so many ways you can approach it, but... You know, I'm gonna drop the link to that because uh, it was something I really struggled for a long time. I I yeah. wanted so bad for it to work for me because I, I I struggled to meditate. I can't calm my mind, and and now I find that the and it took me so long to do this, but I finally got into a place where I can I look forward to the journaling, yeah. even if it's only a page, yeah. And I sit down and I'm, I I do let it flow and I write and I just feel better, even if it's not revolutionary. It's just feel better. There's so many ways you can approach it. I mean, <laughs> there's a journaling prompt I give to people sometimes with regard to their goals. And the, the, the question is, how can I make this fun and easy? So you might ask yourself, how can I make journaling fun and easy? So I put on hip hop music in the background and I do this and I do this and I do this. The other thing is, what's the purpose of journaling for me? I want a clear mind. Okay, how else can I get a clear mind? It's like when the fitness days for me, yeah. people would join the gym and say, I hate the gym. And I'd be, why are you here? I want to get fit. And I go, there's other ways to get fit apart from the gym. You're getting caught up in the, and having to be a certain yeah. way. I think that's important. Same in business. We got obsessed with business goals. I want to be, I want to do this. It's like, you doesn't have to, there's not one road to get you. So I would say, why do I want to journal? want a bit more headspace, want to feel a bit more calm. For other people, they might like to walk in nature, 
screw the journaling. If you know, if it's going to cause you stress, yeah, or yeah. it's just you know, it'll come at the right time if 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 it's right for you. Deadly, yeah. Um, and you said something that reminded me. I never actually finished asking you the question. I wanted mm. to ask you. The thing I'm confused about is Wait. put putting. I believe in putting physical or not physical challenge in front of yourself now. And I know a lot of people subscribe to this now and I know Rogan's big on this as well. And that's why a lot of people are now starting to think about this because he brings these ideas to the forefront. But I, I've always been big on exercise. has always been a massive thing for me playing football. It's it's a non, it's not even a non-negotiable for me. If I don't do it, I'm all over the place. So I just have to do it. It's sure. part of what I do now. It's a habit now as well. Um, but I believe in the concept of placing these physical challenges or just challenges in general in front of yourself to be able to condition yourself and to build this robust and resilient mind we spoke about before because the dark days are coming, whatever that dark day looks like for you, a bad day at work it could be or a, a global pandemic, whatever, it could be anything in between, it's coming yeah. and by placing regular, I, I call it self-inoculation, but you're constantly, yeah. again, another, another unfortunate phrasing, but by putting these challenges in front of yourself, you're, you're giving yourself the opportunity to slowly build that more robust body or mind or soul or whatever it is. But I, I've been reading a few things lately about um, it's all well and good placing challenges in front of yourself. And it's actually, it was Chris Williamson said it on the Modern, the Modern Wisdom podcast. And he, I, I know he wasn't saying it in a way that discounted what I've just said at all, but he, I think it, was, it challenged me a little bit because he was saying that it's all well and good putting these little challenges in front of you. Oh, you did your 20 minute workout. Good man, you're you're a superhuman. He was saying, try, try living a life where you don't have any cha- cha- choice but it's challenge. That's real challenge. And I was kind of a little bit confused because I'm like, some of us don't, I, I'm very lucky in my life. I don't have hunger or homelessness mm. or a massive, ch- I have a very supportive, loving family. I had a very good upbringing. I, was, uh, I, I don't have those challenges put in front of me. And I've, I've said this before, I believe that's made me a little bit more anxious and a little bit more entitled and a little bit less likely to successfully negotiate some challenges in my life because I didn't have any exposure to it when I was younger. So how do you feel about that? kind of comment, commentary about you don't have don't be putting challenges in front of yourself and I know that's not what he was saying but I've heard other people say that versus regularly putting small challenges or big challenges in front of yourself to, to it's the, the furnace the crucible I suppose to build yourself up and strengthen yourself two analogies or, or pieces that might be useful one is um, if you think of a matrix I think this came out of Vishen Lakhiani's book if you think of a matrix that a lot of people live for the I'll be happy when I'll be happy when the next goal arrives so happiness is in the future um, but they don't really do anything in the day to day there's this kind of idea it's it's going to show up at some stage uh, and then there's the people that um, enjoy the day to day but they've got no future vision so there's kind of two sides one is I'll be happy in the future I'll be miserable today the other is uh, I'm kind of going with the flow but I have no vision for the future um, then the other option I'm going to get confused here myself as I say these um Ultimately, what it was saying was the goal should be uh, to have a future vision, but to enjoy the journey. That was kind of what they were getting at. So I think that's important. But to the to the challenge piece, I think the most important thing we're putting challenges in our lives is the question of does it come from a place of wounding or a place of worth? And what that means is a challenge that comes from a place of wounding is the implicit belief that there's something missing in me. And in order for me to feel complete, I've got to get that thing. Something that comes from a place of worth is the idea that I'm whole and complete, like I, I, I am everything I need to be, what would I choose to do, given the opportunity? It's still going to be hard and difficult and stuff, but one is kind of coming from fear and one is coming from love, not to sound too fluffy, but uh, examples of wounding-based goals. In my 20s, uh, I wanted to be on TV. 
I didn't really want to be on TV, but I felt a part of me would be made peace with if I, if I got on TV. So that was like, there's something missing in me, but if someone else puts me on TV, surely that would mean I'm good enough. It doesn't change anything internally. Whereas I've done really hard things in my life. Jiu-Jitsu is an example. Jiu-Jitsu is challenging. Got my purple belts just before the pandemic. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> That's my proudest accomplishment in life. That's a, it's amazing. It's not yeah. an easy thing to do. Yeah, it's my biggest. I, I'm, re, I'm really proud of that because it's just consistency and stuff like that. That was hard. We're all going to struggle in life, but it's choosing what's worth struggling for. It's not, yeah. worth, it's not worth struggling for things just to impress other people. It's not worth struggling for things just to help help you make peace with parts of yourself you haven't. I mean, that's different work to me. It's like I can do my inner work. My inner work is making peace with those shadowy aspects and the difficult bits and integrating those aspects. And then my outer work is living a life that's, you know, in, in, not always going to be, you know, varying degrees of can I go in the general direction of where I want to go. So that would be my thing. I think we need challenge. I think we need. And again, that's Viktor Frankl's piece. Again, back to this uh, man's search for meaning. He said, you'll never find happiness if you look for happiness. Says, you'll notice this. The people that are most unhappy in life are the people that say, I just want to be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happiness, uh, what does he say? Happiness cannot be pursued, it must ensue. Uh, meaning, happiness just comes as a byproduct when you pursue meaning. And meaning comes from three places. Meaning comes from either appreciation of what is, so I can find meaning by sitting down at the beach and just looking and say, wow, it's beautiful. Or looking at my partner's eyes or whatever it might be. So there's the appreciation piece. Um, the second place we can find meaning is in creation of things that are meaningful to us. Third place then is in finding meaning in our suffering. Um, so, you know, someone loses a loved one to a horrible disease and then they form a charity off the back of that where they say, we're going to support people. We're going to turn this horrendous situation into something uh, beautiful, you know. So yeah. uh, appreciation of what is, creation of what's meaningful or understanding of suffering. Um, so I think those pieces are important. It's beautiful, yeah. And as you were speaking at the end there, my mind immediately went to Conor O'Keefe because you mentioned him before the podcast here as well. And there's a man who's using suffering yeah. to find meaning. I, I think I said it to Conor when Conor came on my podcast. I said, you're one of the rare people I've met in the ultra world who seems to genuinely love it. He, he genuinely does. There's an example. A lot of guys in ultra and girls in ultra, they say they're not running to something, something they're running from, from something. something and a lot of them will tell you that you know come off addiction issues or whatever it might be that becomes the new addiction until the body breaks down maybe but Connor's genuinely I think Connor's got that place that sense of worth you know I'm I'm a great person I'm my own best friend all this kind of stuff and, yeah. and for that reason I'm going to allow myself to take this on as opposed to I'm a piece of shit so I need to do this to feel good in myself. It's yeah. two different things. You yeah, know? and he curates that. He does curate that because obviously he explained the story. He, he didn't feel like that in the job and he was doing all the things he's supposed to do. But like it's when you're around him, did, did you come in? Have you met him in person? No, or? no, we were just online. But Oh, uh, when you meet him in person, and again, I'm not trying to blow smoke here, but there's an energy around him. There's a, there's a sense of comfort around him. Now he puts himself, he's talking about the cold showers and the ultra runs and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And he does that because it helps to continually curate this feeling of worth. I think anyway, don't put words in his mouth, inside him. And that's infectious for me because I said it to him as well. I usually look at these ultra runners. I'm like, it's not for me. doesn't look fun. It yeah. doesn't look fun. <laughs> and it doesn't look like it would help me with the journey I'm on at the moment. But I did, But then I met Connor and I was like, oh, this is a different, 
way of doing the same thing. So it's not just a challenge for the challenge. And that's why I think it's important to, again, for me to speak to as many people like yourself and like Connor, because there's many different ways of doing this. Mm. And some people won't like a men's retreat in the beach sitting shoulder to shoulder, but they love going and doing an ultra run with Connor yeah. O'Keefe or carrying a backpack full of weights up a mountain. Um, mm. And it's about finding the thing that fits you at that moment in time. At that moment in time, at because it's different. Time. Yeah, because, uh, you know, there's... There's days I look at David Goggins and I'm like, oh, it's a bit hardcore for me. Like, <laughs> I want to enjoy. Like, Fuck off, but then there's days I, I'm like, I need a bit of Goggins. So it's almost, again, these different characters in our head. And um, just to touch on, again, Shadow. But again, we, we said Shadow can be golden and dark. Shadow can be the people that we inspire. We look at Connor. We're like, what is it about Connor that's inspiring to me? It's like, there seems to be an element of self acceptance. There seems to be an element of um, self belief. So these are again, how can I cultivate more acceptance? How can I cultivate more self belief? And then I look to the polar opposite and I say, what do I not like about the um, the ultra runners who just seem, you know, oh they're running away. From, where am I running away from myself? So it's all informing yeah. us. Um, but a good a good kind of note on that projection piece with the shadow is, are things. Um, uh, well, how would I put it? Are things uh, informing me? Or are they disturbing me? So what I mean by that is um, if I have a friend who turns up late for lunch and it doesn't really bother me all that much, I'm informed. I recognize they showed up late, but it doesn't really bother But if I have a friend who turns up late for lunch and I'm really irked by that, that's shadow material. That's disturbing. Yeah. This give me an a, emotional response. So, you know, the people that are like, David Goggins, that's like really bad for your mental health. You shouldn't be pushing yourself that hard. Maybe there's something in that for them. Um because they're disturbed by it. It's oh, how, I love you know, that. Yeah. I love that because so many people have an emotional, I wanted to say it earlier on, on a, on a completely different topic. I t and, and this is something I've been working on myself and I'm not, not good at this a lot of the time. When someone says something to me I don't agree with necessarily, I have an emotional response. I'm getting better at managing that emotional response, but I still have the emotional response. Yeah. And being triggered, this is the, the word we all yeah, love yeah, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. being emotionally triggered by your friend turning up late says more about you than it says about your friend. But we try and make it about, well, I try and make it about the friend. He showed up late, it was his fault. He did this to me and now I'm in a bad mood and I feel shit because of him. And, and bring that home with you. And what shadow might, what it might, the result of doing a bit of work on that might be that you recognize that in your life you get resentful toward people, but you never tell them that you resent them because you don't want to have the uncomfortable conversation. So rather than saying, hey, you turned up late again, rather than having that external conversation, you have that conversation internally, repeatedly, and it gets more dramatic and the special effects come and everything else. <laughs> yeah, and you're bringing and in all the crowds and, the and your inner, Yeah, and your inner critic then yeah. is just like, people, he doesn't respect you. And then this story, if he doesn't respect you, you go into work the next day and then someone else looks at you funny, oh, she doesn't respect me either. And you, it's like putting on a pair of red sunglasses and everything out there looks red. It's it's not out there, it's in here. Um, so again, all of our, and again, I, this stuff is easy to say from a distance. I'm, yeah. I'm the same when I'm in the, when I'm in the midst of it, I'm like, I'm like, no, this is not shadow material. This guy's just an asshole. Like, you know, but there's always something there. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, sometimes I listen to myself on some of the podcasts. I'm like, who the fuck? What, what the fuck am I even saying? But well, I know I'm in the moment now. I'm excited. I'm talking to you. We both think similarly about certain things. But at some point, this might connect with somebody out there. And I think it's, it's so evident in so many different conversations nowadays that emotional ex externalizing of... The, pro the problem which is actually internal we, we, we talked about before it leads to political and social and mm. divides between families and stuff like that as well and um, I just found it very interesting because a, a link between someone like yourself and someone like Connor in martial arts because Connor was a, was a kickboxing or Muay Thai Muay Thai, yeah, yeah. Muay Thai. Yeah. and obviously a lot of people are gravitating towards Jiu Jitsu I don't know maybe Rogan has a, a part to play in this yeah. as well but I'm, I'm sure it's probably not McGregor it's more, yeah. it's more, <laughs> more likely other, other influences but 
for me, it's always rep. And as I said to you before, I'm I'm not a, a fighter. I've I've taken part in lots of different types of training over the years, and I'm fascinated by it. GA was my sport, but my Thai or not my Thai, um, martial arts in general to me represent a really distilled version of this shadow work or self work. There is no hiding. You come face to face with an opponent, and. Yeah. There's a lot of lessons to learn from that about yourself. How do you handle that opponent? Do you stand up tall? Do you engage? Do you move forward? Are you very defensive? And I've always been fascinated by by that. And it seems to be a lot of the people in this sphere of, and I don't like to put a title on it, but personal development or mm-hmm. self-help or life coaching or whatever, whatever title you want to use, reference or themselves practice an element of physical pursuit, usually a martial art. Do you find that as well? Yeah, um, jiu-jitsu, like... You go in every day and you get your ass kicked. You, your you know, you could be two years there, there and yeah. like you could be two years training every day, and like a ninety kilo rugby player comes in and just schools you on his first day, and you think, "I'm oh, wasting my time." So does that kind of thing of you? You learn. I I, yeah, I learned so much from jujitsu. I learned that one, I'm only competing with myself, but then I learned two, I need my training partners and I need my competitors to help me get better. This tribe, this community, there's the physical component. And um, one thing we've talked about, you know, we've talked about mental health a little bit on the podcast with depression and anxiety and all these things. My friend Natasha has a great quote where she says, if you don't use the energy, the energy uses you. And what I take from that is everyone thinks depression is in the head and anxiety is in the head. It's also in the body. Yeah. Like when we're anxious, there's fight or flight happening and our nervous system is just completely dysregulated. And so that, you know, my, if, if, I, if my boss is roaring at me and I'm sat in my chair and this cortisol adrenaline everything's running through my body it's just stuck there and I'm going to blow up on the wrong person so I think you know a physical outlet also allows you know a bit of movement to go you know again healthy I wouldn't even call it healthy anger but you're getting to physically express yourself through your body um, you know our minds are kind of getting shut down but our bodies are also getting shut down we are quite sedentary yeah. I am I am quite sedentary I should own my language again rather than saying well we I, 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 I would agree with you because you maybe you are so I don't think you are because I see I see it well I don't think it's just a funny thing I see the things you do I don't know, I don't know the things that you do I see your Instagram and I see your, your, your social media and stuff like that but I'm sure you're, you're, you're quite active but in general because again I from a clinical point of view a lot of the people that we would have seen in the clinic were what we would class as sedentary and I've often thought about this I think I spoke about with uh, Dahlia Quinn about the, the, the av- and again, there's no average person, but the person who works in an office and maybe they're there for, for, for 10 hours in a day and they go home and they have the, the stresses of life and they use the weekend to recover and whatever it is, seven, six, seven days a week, there's no outlet for that. In, we're, we're made to move. These are all cliches, but we are made to move and express that energy. And mm. I've, I said to you earlier on, I'm very lucky I've had football for all of my, my life and that's how I, 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 and when I'm not playing football, I'm in the gym and I just, it's for me, it's an expression of the energy that's inside me. When I don't do it, you cannot live with me. You cannot talk to me. I cannot, I'm, I'm just pent up and it's not aggression. It's just energy, yeah. stress, anxiety, a need to move, a desire to compete, whatever it might be. And it's in me and it doesn't go away. So I think about a person who doesn't have an outlet for that. It doesn't have to be a martial art, but a walk or anything very quickly that builds up into something so I, mean, I like the way you say it. depression is not just in the head or a, a medical condition to be treated it is a connection of everything it's the shadow the lack of shadow work the lack of connection we spoke about with tribe and all that yeah. the lack of physical movement and activity and what I love about this is you started off as a fitness guy um, explaining the benefits of exercise now you've come full circle you're not the fitness guy anymore mm. but you're still very aware of the benefits of exercise on a much more 
foundational level. It's not just about move to get fit and healthy. Like it's literally a core part of who you are and how you express yourself. Um, which and, is it, massive. And, and then it's the putting the two together. I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff with Gabor Mate um, for the next year. Gabor Mate is yeah. like, the guy's amazing, but he's kind of mind body connection. And um, you know, talk about shadow. Shadow again is not just in the mind, but shadow is also in the body. So um, you know, when I think about the people that agitate me, those things live in my body. You know, if I close my eyes and I think about someone who I deem to be a bully, I feel my, it sounds a bit out there for people, but as you start to connect to the parts of your body, the whole list, the way I put it as someone, um, a really simple example, if a child is bullied, two things happen in that moment. One, there's a physical reaction from the child. Their heart rate elevates, adrenaline and cortisol run through their body. There's a sense of threat and danger, and so the body responds. But they're probably not going to fight. Maybe they'll fight or maybe they'll run away, but maybe they just stand there. But there's an emotional response and a physical response. And it's almost like that part of you gets trapped in time, gets frozen in time. That's yeah. a six-year-old, seven-year-old gets frozen in time. So that's what happens in the body. And then the mind, so it's literally they say your, our, our issues are stored in our tissues. Right? So I've yeah, heard that before, yeah, and it makes sense. Yeah, and then, so that's the somatic or the, the body part. And then the mind comes in and the mind says, right, let's defend ourselves from that ever happening again. So there's a couple of ways we can do that. Okay, I'm going to become the funny guy now. I'm going to become the tough guy. I'm going to become the guy who never cries again. We come up with all these strategies. And then 20 years later, there's this all this tension in the body because we've never let go of that stuff and never allowed ourselves to go into, again, the shadowy aspects of the, the icky parts that don't feel good in the body. Yeah. Again, someone triggers me. I feel, oh, I've, or I'm in a social um, setting and I feel social anxiety. Where do I feel that? My body, ch chest is tight, throat is constricted. What will I do? I'll have a load of drinks because I'll numb myself yeah. from what's what feeling. Um, but then again, you know, 20, 30 years on, I said, so wait a second, why do I keep sabotaging in relationships? Well, it's the defense strategy from 20 years ago that kept you safe back then, but just isn't working anymore. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I, I'm very aware of how generous you've been for your time. I'm not going to take yeah. up too much of your time yeah. at all now. And I would love to be able to do this again <laughs> we can, yeah, so for sure. much more to, yeah. I'd like to go into but I, I think it deserves its own time because there's a lot in this there's mm. incredible value in that um, and I love by the way you mentioned Vishen Nakiani there wasn't I don't yeah. think too many people are familiar with Vishen even though he's yeah. massive mind value and a lot of huge I met Vishen in of course you met Vishen <laughs> sorry I feel like an <laughs> asshole or something like a name dropper over here yeah 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 2015 I went to Costa Rica I went to Awesomeness Awesomeness Fest was this festival that Vishen used to run is it? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, it's called. I think it's called A-Fest now. It was pretty cool. It was like 100 entrepreneurs from around the world and you go in for three days and they Deadly. did all sorts of ceremonies and stuff. I was this 25-year-old or 26-year-old. Uh, mind blown. Yeah, I just, I wasn't, we talked earlier about being ready for stuff and, you know, not, yeah. they were doing meditation. I didn't know what meditation was. They were drinking cacao. I was like, it's a lot of bullshit. Yeah. Give me a beer. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. An, I did breath work for the first time uh, at that. Uh, we, were, we were at dinner, and some guy comes in, and he goes, "We're going to the beach to do breath work," and it was just like, "Yeah, like just a bunch of lunatics." And I did the breath work, and it, I left my body completely. I didn't know what went on, and then I, I didn't know what it was, so I wasn't able to find anything about it until two years later, and then went to Wim Hof's thing and. But yeah, it's amazing. It's actually it's it's mind value is part of what I'm modeling the, this next hour project on trying to trying to combine all of these amazing in our country because our country is amazing. Yeah, but it seems to be a lot of little pods. Now it's getting closer together, but a lot of little pods of people doing their own thing. Mm. And I'm like meeting all these people, and going, "Oh my god, we can help everybody." I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to link all these people <laughs> together to be amazing. Yeah. Um, but I love I love vision. I love I love everything he does. His ethos is so. So uh, amazing. Um, just before you go, Mr. Pat Dively, mm. can you speak about your 
Can you speak about your new book? Oh yeah, thank you. Okay, I didn't know if you could or not. <laughs> I was getting ready to chop that. Chop that. Uh, yeah, I've had a, it was a labour of love. I, I have a new book coming out on January 7th. I don't think I can say the name of it yet, but okay. um, I shot the cover of it today. That's why I was up in Dublin. You told me the name, I like yourself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I forgot that. Um, yeah, it's a book about the stories we tell ourselves, so how we talk to ourselves and how that impacts our life. So um, it's a very practical book, I think. So the first couple of chapters talk about the origins of our stories, so where these stories come from, uh, how we can start to identify them with them or identify what they are. And then there's an eight-week program, so again, back to this fitness component, there's an eight-week mental and emotional fitness program that has meditations and daily journaling prompts. And the eight chapters look at eight different themes, so like the theme of happiness, we've touched on that today, the theme of success, confidence, relationships, difficult emotions. And then the end of the book has kind of suggestions going forward. So there's a lot in it. I think it's I think it's going to help people. I know it's going to help people, but uh, I hope it Hope it reaches as many people as I would like Amazing. it to. Amazing. Looking f- looking forward to reading that. Um, and if if anybody here listening, obviously, mm. like we can find you on Instagram, we know that. But if if anybody here listening wants to reach out or engage in any of the services that you provide uh, or listen to your podcast, listen yeah. to my podcast. Not <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you've listened to this podcast, go <laughs> listen to mine. Uh, yeah, I, the podcast is the main place I direct people because I'm kind of over social media, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I say that now. But uh, and I'm I don't really have much going on in terms of I I need to become a better businessman and have offerings. <laughs> all the time I've just finished those retreats so uh, yeah the podcast uh, Pativity Podcast and Pativity.com yeah brilliant and just just before I let you go just, uh, just because you mentioned podcast there I, I mean your podcast is obviously fantastic and we had a laugh earlier on about everyone has a podcast now, mm. but I just think it's r- such a powerful medium for two reasons one like for me personally my own personal development I get to meet people like you and have these amazing conversations but also it's it's such a more accessible way for people to engage with who you are and what you do. So, for example, Pat Divoli, I, I know a lot more about you and what you do from your podcast compared to everything I'd seen from you previously, including being on the Late Late and uh, Instagram and all the, the mm. book covers and all that kind of stuff. The podcast gives me real, it's real, yeah. a real insight. Yeah. And I know it's you sitting in front of a microphone with these ideas in your head. And I also know, because you said it to me, there's, there's self-doubt there. Is this going to be good enough? Uh, I'm, I, I think you said on the other podcast, I'm a running out of things to say. Yeah. And <laughs> obviously... I run a podcast studio, so I'm always going to be an advocate for podcasts. But yeah. I don't think that ever happens because you're constantly evolving, you're sharing, you're telling your story, and anybody who's interested in that gets a real insight and a connection, and they grow with you and you evolve. And if you listen to my, like I'm only thirty odd episodes in now, but if you listen to my first one compared to this one, I'm a totally different person. It's mental. Mm. I look at a lot of my clients around me here, and they're just different people after yeah. doing it. So I think it's a really powerful medium, and I just want to commend you on yours. It's absolutely excellent. Mm, Definitely, you. people should should listen. Um, um, I would, and just maybe something that might be useful just for everyone is is one of my um, one of the things I really embraced over the last ten years is the idea of uh, learning in public. As in, um, a lot of people wait until they feel they've got something right or they've got something yeah. perfect or whatever it is. I've just gone out there and failed publicly a hundred times. You know, I did a hundred talks for free in a year back in two thousand sixteen to get comfortable. I was afraid of public speaking. Sorry, I should frame that I, I said I would do 100 free I did 88 talks over the year for free anywhere that would have me schools colleges and a lot of them were awful you know and, and um, you know I, we've got these huge expectations the longer you wait and you watch your favourite podcast or you watch your favourite fill in the blank the more disconnected you feel from being able to do that so yeah. just put yourself out there as we talked about earlier do the thing reflect on the thing refine the thing and just keep doing it and 
you know, let go of expectations about how many people it has to reach or what it has to do or and just uh, allow yourself to fail, allow yourself to practice. And we get good at what we practice, right? So it's just yeah. a lot of people, the, the, the hardest part for anyone is the first hundred hours, we'll say, of doing anything, of picking up the guitar, playing the piano, because it, it's uncomfortable, again, to the ego, to round it out with the ego, uh, to not be proficient at something. And yeah. so... You don't always have, if you, when you're learning to drive, it's uncomfortable those first 10, 20, 30 hours, but you got the driving instructor kind of holding your hand yeah, so you'll push through. Yeah. We don't always have that support system. So you have to become your own support system and say, right, I'm committing to this. I'm going to give it 100 hours of my time over the next year, two hours a week. Yeah, whatever there will be it is. resistance. The yeah. war of art. There will be resistance. It's, 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 it's inherent. But if there's not, you're, you're not. What's you're the not, point? Yeah. 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 Don't is better than perfect. Get it out. Do the thing. Do the thing. I love it. Mr. Pat Dively. People are going to listen to this and go, was this Pat's podcast? <laughs> so polished. And <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I, I was buzzing for them, buzzing even more now. I took so much value from that. I'm going to listen to that over and over again. Thank uh, you thank so you, much man. for your time. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. And I'm going to, I think you said it on mics. I'm going to hold you to it. We're going to do another one. I'm gonna, 100%. I'd love to. Uh, yeah. I, I'd absolutely love to. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And I will see you very soon. Thank you, brother. And that is a wrap. I don't know about you, but I am buzzing after that episode with Pat. What a super, super chat. And you heard him say it. He is coming back for round two. So we'll all look forward to that one. If you want to check out any of the resources that Pat might have mentioned, his his events, his book, his podcast, I'm going to link everything on the Primal website. Don't forget that with every episode, there's a page that goes up on the Primal website, www.primal.ie forward slash Pat Dively for this particular episode. And that houses the episode, all the information about Pat and all of the resources that you might need to know about him and everything we spoke about in this episode. So if you're interested in shadow work or anything he spoke about, make sure you head over to the website and check it out for more information. Guys, thank you so much for listening as always. If you like the episode, make sure you drop us a review on any of your podcasting platforms. Follow us on YouTube because we're always releasing extra content around these episodes and clips from the podcasts and drop us a like or a subscription on instagram or a follow i should say I'm not very good at the social media game um, and make sure you check us out on all the different platforms really appreciate your support as always and thank you again mr pat dively for joining me on the podcast see you next time <laughs>